1: Recorded live. She's just a girl. Forget
2: can she be?
3: She can't be. She's... She can't be. She's not possible.
4: into our second week of Doctor Who. So, be warned. Yes, we'll talking about the latest episode, so that means there's going to be spoilers if you haven't seen it. Because it's a review and all. That's how those things work. All right. Joining me, at my side, uh, it's Mr. Dave C.
5: Yeah, I just had to unmute myself there. I was eating this blue fruit. Rather strange it was, but uh, I think I'll stick to grapefruit. Hi, Ian.
4: Hi, Dave. All right. Let's see who else is in the room with us. Joining us, it's Mr. Darth Skeptical, sir. Hello, good sir. How are you? Very good, thank you. Glad you could make it. Also joining us, Jeff, the seventh doctor, is here. (laughs) I
6: I mean, hi, Ian. No swearing on this podcast, thank you
4: very much. (laughs) (coughs) I'm uh-huh. <laughs> uh, not doing too bad I'm feeling a little better <laughs> Okay Joining us on the
7: phones Mr. Gudley Ken is here Hello. Greetings to you Ian and Dave Greetings Oh
2: so
4: you're
8: waking up the
7: beach, It's a me? long song I tell you <laughs> <laughs> <What?
4: What? laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good How are you guys doing? Good thank you sir good. Thank good. you all right, and lastly on the phones, it's Gobo. Hello, Kobo Hey,
2: and how are you?
4: Not too bad, not too bad.
9: Missed you on Friday, but glad you're doing better now.
4: Yep, yep. Hopefully, I'll feel even better tomorrow. <laughs> but yes, getting there. I wouldn't miss Doctor Who, you know. <laughs> All right, well, let's. Uh, everybody who's uh, on audio today, but don't worry, it'll still be a long show. <laughs> let's see who's under the cone of silence.
10: Control, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence.
4: What? And it's a long list, so here we go. Cart Blanche is here. DevRoss eleven seventy nine is here. Logan's here. Enterprise who I am voted for. Saxon. Cybob. Randolph Thor. Resident Alien. And guest eleven five seven eight some. and nine. Ta da! <laughs> yes, we're using the extra
5: large cone today, Cybob. You're correct. Yes.
4: yes, the extra large cone. <laughs> the expanded cone. All it right, wants, it one wants,
5: one one. wants a it flake in it. This one. <laughs> 9 i uh,
4: I've got to write him some new material. I swear. <laughs> all right. Uh, somebody who has should should be getting busy writing writing some new material, uh, but he's too busy with news. It's the typing monkey. It's news time. Go typing monkey, go! go. Hey, in stereo. <laughs> in unison. See, they all joined in to sing the typing monkey. in. all right. First up with news, it's. Jeff.
6: Oh, it's me? I thought we were going to uh, Ken first. Oh,
4: fine. Oh, (laughs) fine. It's Ken then.
5: Is that a practice?
4: (laughs) All right. Uh, I think. Yeah, that's my excuse. All right.
7: Sad news I I have, unfortunately, to give. We've lost some very creative people this week. Um, Roger Ebert, amazing, noted. I guess the man with Gene Siskel who created the uh uh critic as pop culture icon um passed away this week of uh, his returned cancer he announced that he was going to be um minimizing his activities and sadly 2 days later um he passed away for years um He seemed to be the voice of criticism, along with Gene Siskel in America. His thumbs-up, thumbs-down criteria for film uh, became part of uh, our language. And whether you agreed with him or disagreed with him, you can't deny he had such a passion for film. And after his prolonged illness for life, the man never retired he struggled with this he um, continued to a blog he had a voice device so he could still uh, speak electronically they've tried to be a revamp of some form of his uh critic show on pbs which um sadly failed about a couple years ago um but he'll never be forgot he was based out of the Chicago Sun-Times, and his friendly rivalry with uh, Gene Siskel went on for years when Gene Siskel himself um, passed away years ago. But um, there are no shows like this on the air now. I guess with the aspect of the Internet, so many critics abound. But he is so historically important And we've lost a very passionate voice for film criteria and someone who really, really loved movies and the art of film. Uh, He passed away this week. Um, He was age 70. Also this week, uh, Carmine Infantino. um, He has been called the man who saved Batman. Um, He died uh, this week. He was uh, 87. He um, revamped the Flash, ushering in the Silver Age of comics in the 50s. And he had a streamlined, wonderful uh, art style. There, there were times he would he, incredible cover artist. There's a Batman cover where he just would totally have the logo broken up would have been crushed by the villain Solomon Grundy. He created the revamped introduction of, of Batgirl, and he was artist, editor, and publisher, no, noteworthy at DC Comics from the 1950s uh, to the 70s. And he was one of the greats. We were losing too many of them in the comic book world. Um... He passed away this week. If if you're a fan of Silver Age uh, comic books, uh, he's one of the men to go to. But what was really noteworthy about him, Batman was a very floundering title um, around 1966. Uh, when they started having the go-go checks and a... Sixty sensibility into Batman, this revamped, popularized the character, and led to the TV series around this time. So he's very noteworthy for that. But um, So two sad losses this week in the world of film criticism and comic book art. And they both will be very missed.
2: Indeed.
8: And I'll just pop in there on... Infantino and say, while well, he is largely remembered uh, for his DC work, uh, let's not forget that he saved Marvel too. So he saved both DC and Marvel. And the way he saved Marvel was that he was the um, artist on Star Wars, the uh, Marvel Star Wars series right from the beginning. And although we don't have you know huge amounts of data on um, the, the complete publishing world at that time, um, Almost everybody who's ever studied Marvel's finances, like the the back end deal of Marvel, will tell you that before they got Star Wars, they were dying. They didn't tell anybody, but they would have been dead uh, probably within a year or two. But then Star Wars number one became their best selling comic of all time, and um, that that series certainly saved Marvel. There, there's really no doubt about that. So.
7: And especially uh, at that time when they had lost Jack Kirby, right. who was the man who got Jack Kirby over to DC, Carmine Infantino.
8: Right, and it sort of went the other way though, right after
7: that. Yeah.
8: Um, but uh, yeah, the, the other thing is, you know, for my, if you if you studied comics artists at all, one one of the key things that you know about this guy is to a day, two complete, fully realized. Pages of comic art a day. That was his rule that he lived by, and that is why he is absolutely one of the most uh, prolific artists of all time in the comic industry. Just the the, the stuff that this guy has done, ridiculous, just ridiculous. And, and that's the other thing that maybe we could explore a little bit is um, he. Is this you know came in sort of there at the golden age at the sort of late golden age, and there's that ten year gap right where um comics were thought to be evil, and so there there came in this huge backlash, and there were congressional hearings and um Things that eventually led to what's called the comic code, which is kind of like uh, you know the, the voluntary rating system, like we have on movies, you know. And during that ten-year time between the Golden Age and the the uh, Silver Age, of course, heroes just sort of dropped out of comics almost altogether. Now there, there were a few exceptions: Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. That's why, in a sense, those are the big three because they survived this purge of heroes. Uh, but Infantino was part of the team at DC that found a way to continue making money um, to sort of bridge that gap. And so he also is a part of a side of comics that we don't really have today, but that completely held up the comics industry period during uh, the sort of late 40s to sort of mid 50s. And, and that's genres like, you know, the Western. And especially the the romance comics, which really don't exist today at all, um, things that were you know sort of wholesome and pure and had no violence uh, to speak of, or at least if it was violence, it was gun violence, and apparently that's okay in America. Um, so he just an amazing artist, not only because of his profligacy, but also just because he could figure out ways to make comics interesting, no matter what the genre was that he was working in which is just, just crazy. Uh, nobody's really quite like Carmen
7: Infantino. And I, I have to recommend, if you really want to get into the history of comics, uh, his work, the work of Gil Kane, Kurt Swan, and, of course, Will Eisner, Jack Kirby. But I, I would say the, the main architects of the look of the Silver Age would have to be Infantino and Gil Kane uh, as as being totally iconic. I mean, there was also Kurt Swan and Wayne Boring at the time. But he he grabbed you with, with, with a look... With, it was very blocky. He was almost like he was doing 3D comics. Some incredible covers. If you've seen them, his introduction of Batgirl... Um, uh, it's like she's coming right off the cover at you. And um, he also did, as Darth said, some admirable work at Marvel. His work on Star Wars was excellent. He worked on the John Carter of Mars series, A Warrior of Mars with Marv Wolfman, and that, And really look into that. He really, really recommend it. But uh, he, he was uh, one of the giants.
4: Thank you, guys. Okay. That's great. All right. Um, Ken. Jeff. I mean, Jeff, I believe you have new CMO at sixes and sevens today. It's just...
6: That's okay, Ian. We forgive you. We love you. Okay, go ahead, Perry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll, well, I'll don't get carried away. <laughs>
6: <laughs> you see, at my job at NASA. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> BBC America has been doing these specials, uh, one a month, for each of the doctors, called uh, The Doctors Revisited, and they've aired the William Hartnell, the Patrick Trouton, and the John Pertwee specials uh, in the first three months of the year, and they're going to be doing the Tom Baker one this month, on the last Sunday of the month. and. Um, BBC Worldwide and Warner Home Entertainment are going to be releasing these four specials on DVD, along with the stories that BBC America aired with the specials, Uh, specials would be The Aztecs, The Tomb of the Cybermen, Spearhead from Space, and Pyramids of Mars. Uh, They're going to be releasing these on DVD, and uh, they will
0: be released
6: on June the 11th of 2013. So that will be a four-disc set, and also they're going to have the introduction of each of the four episodes or four stories by Stephen Moffat on these discs as well. So that's something to look forward to. Um, I don't know if there's a price for it yet, uh, but you can pre-order it on Amazon for, I, I guess, for $27.99. Uh, in related news, uh, the Region 1 release of the moon base is uh, also listed on Amazon for pre-order um, that's for twenty-four forty-nine, and I don't see a date yet uh, for availability on that one so uh, some DVDs to look forward to uh, for dr. who in region one it's Canada and the United States
5: I'm just looking to see if guest five has put that information it was guest five who uh... They put that up for us. So if they do have a date, could they please put it in text for us?
6: I don't see it on Amazon. It just says pre-order, okay. add, add to your cart. Uh, availability not yet released, ships from and uh-huh. sold by Amazon. No date on that one yet. But I'm kind of surprised by that one. I wonder how they're going to fill in the the missing episodes.
2: Yeah, that's hugely surprising. I
8: haven't heard anything about it. It's animation, the, I guess.
6: It's on the uh, Doctor Who news website, and I'll put up the link for it if you want to go look at it. And no, I'm,
8: I'm looking at I'm looking at Amazon, and I'm, it doesn't say what they're doing about the the two missing episodes.
6: No, it doesn't really
5: say. Oh, well, release date of the 11th of June for the Moonbase.
8: That's crazy. I haven't also, heard anything about this. That's crazy. No
7: news on animation or anything.
8: Certainly no. not on Amazon. And there's no there's no news on Amazon about what else is on it.
6: It does say on the Doctor Who news site that uh, special sound composer Brian Hutchinson indicated they had recorded a commentary for the story. That's interesting. I guess we'll find out more about it as uh, more stills are released. I
9: can only imagine it's going to be re a commentary with stills.
2: Like That's
9: so what I would people think. People on the do.
5: I means snaps or something.
6: Now, hmm. wasn't this story released as part of the uh, Lost in Time disc right. special?
8: Uh, yeah, and so I don't know what they could be doing that and aside from animation I don't see why they would bother re-releasing it I don't know because there's nothing more you can clean up about it it's, that's very interesting
4: could it be the slipped one by us it? hmm.
8: or it's not true I don't know
5: and it looks like Mark's able to come on audio in Oh, wait, here we go.
8: Oh. Uh, no, I thought I had actual confirmation that they were definitely reanimating, but no, I guess not.
11: <laughs> Interesting. Let's, yeah,
4: watch the space and we'll,
6: uh, We can find out. Watch for details as they come out. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: Is that your news, done, Jeff?
6: That is all I have, Dave.
8: If that's true, this is interesting because if that's true, I think it will change people's opinion about Polly totally. Because people go uh, on that, especially on that episode, you hear people all the time say that all that Polly does in the episode is she goes off and she's sent to get coffee, and that she therefore discovers that it's the sugar that is, you know, people that the Cybermen are using to control people. And so Polly is presented in the episodes that survive as just the, you know, sort of tea lady. Uh, but the episodes that don't survive are where you find out that Polly is the one that comes up with the plan to actually destroy the the uh, Cybermen. And so if if it is animated, maybe people will finally start to give Polly the respect that she deserves.
9: Yeah, she uses wow. the nail polish, and it's just awesome.
8: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an awesome way of killing... Cybermen, far better than, like, Ace shooting a golden coin, whatever. Goal. Far better goal. than you Yeah, I mean, all that stuff. No, it's, you know, here's this girl from the swinging 60s, and what does she do? She gets out her nail polish and clogs up the system. It's logical. It's such a great moment, and it's unfortunately not on video. So I hope they do animate it so that maybe Polly will get some respect.
6: Dave, where did you find the release date?
5: On the uh, the link I put in the the um, on the news Doctor Who news it says Amazon have made the order pre available for pre order with a release date of the eleventh of June
6: that, that, that's, for, that's for the Doctors moon
5: Who Oh, I thought we were talking about the Moonbase.
8: No, I did on Amazon. with that release date though. I think. Oh, let me look in.
6: No, I I searched for a date on there and I couldn't find one.
8: Hey, oh, right. I'm sorry. Yep. You're right, it's not there. It also, curious, I've never seen this in any kind of Amazon pre-order thing. It if you read the editorial reviews, it says not final. I don't know what those words mean. I've never seen that in Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, a, a, a description from Amazon. Changed,
2: yeah?
8: I don't know. But I mean, if they're going to take you 25 bucks, then I guess there must be something real there, I guess. So, oh, you know, in the past, so. well, you'd think so, but in the past, don't forget, there's been, oh, that final collection of uh, uh, final trade paperback from uh, the David Tennant run in Doctor Who magazine, The Crimson Hand. Uh, that, they were happy to take your money for, and it didn't come for three years. So, I don't know.
7: maybe. But they don't know, take your money in they chip. Well, yeah, but I,
8: right, but they were they were happy to do pre-ordering for three years. I mean, that's kind yeah. of ridiculous.
6: So this could be something a year or two off.
8: I guess. It's not usually that long, but I no, mean... No, I, I'm just trying exactly. to get everything
5: out for the 50th anniversary anyway, isn't that? I thought that was a deadline pretty much anyway. Although, of course, I, revisitations I of that don't count.
8: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But anyway, we're not really here to talk about Patrick Troughton episodes.
5: <laughs> okay, then. Uh, that, I'll take that as a, a clue uh, to move on. Um, to uh, Today, uh, early this morning on BBC Radio 4, which is thankfully not region locked, uh, a new series of what's called uh, The Reunion, um, where they bring groups together to people to talk about... Uh, historic events, our, our programming, um, was uh, today. And Sue McGregor gathers together five people who created and started the first series of Doctor Who back in 1963, launching a cultural phenomenon that still thrives today. So Caroline Ford, um, uh, Willie Russell was there, um, um, I'm, I'm Ian Chesterton, Jeremy Young, uh, who was the caveman, Cal, in that story, and Peter Purves. And um, I've got a, I have got—I two clips, but I think because of the time, I'll just play, it is the longer clip, but I'll just play one clip to give you an idea of uh, how this went. It, uh, tonight's new serial, and that was, of course, the very first episode, seemed to be a cross
9: between H.G. Wells's The Time Machine and a space-age old curiosity shop yeah. with a touch of Max Senate comedy. <laughs> Did he have a point?
3: Do you think? There was adventure, there was tension, And there was comedy. So what more do you want out of a show which at that time we did not realize would echo through the years?
9: Because the American science fiction series took themselves a great deal more serious. Yes,
3: indeed. And and that's one of the reasons why we, I'm saying we, uh, are still here. The others had their terminations. They came to an end because you can't go on pursuing a story in outer space and being very serious about it
5: all the time.
10: We heard earlier... um, um, recordings of William Hartnell, the first Doctor yes. Who, getting a little bit into trouble, maybe forgetting the odd line, Ooh. but he was obviously, he was a very powerful Doctor Who. Peter Purvis, you got to know him rather well.
12: I did. He, he, he took me under his wing, rather, and he was, he was very generous to me, but he, he was losing the facility to remember the words all the way through. Uh, listening to the very first recording there, he was right on the script he was on the button with that, mm-hmm. as he would have been by the time I joined the show he really was having difficulty with words and it was that, because he was quite a perfectionist as he wanted to get it right oh, he was. He and did. when he got yeah. it wrong, yeah. he got cross yeah. and when he got it almost defined the character the character grew out of himself being annoyed with himself and everything else I do a passable impression of him and I'm not going to do it now but oh, it, oh, it, it, oh, oh, no, no, no my dear, I mean the, the whole point of, of this entire program is that we look at what the show was about. And I changed because now I can't remember the bloody lines. <laughs> he was determined to get it right. When he got it wrong, he was angry with himself and it made him play in a certain way. I found it fascinating. It grew and grew and grew. And it, by the end, by the time he left uh, the show, I, it, it almost become a parody of itself, I suppose. Uh, I, I loved him. I, for me, he's always the doctor. There'll never be another. I, I do think have been better actors playing Doctor Who, but none as good as Bill. In <laughs>
9: fact, were most of the episodes recorded as live? In other words, that
12: there wasn't much room for editing. There, were only, there was only enough in the budget for about three edits. Mm. Now, that's absurd, but it meant that if something went wrong, you couldn't yeah. do it again. <laughs> so if Billy made a mistake which he did often, bless his heart, my favourite one uh, in the Myth Makers when we're, we're in Troy and they're worshipping him as a god and he stands up and he says, no, I'm not a dog, a god. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it went out.
5: Yeah, and uh, that is available to say uh, on the link that I put in. Uh, and um, you better hurry because uh, this can only be available on the BBC uh, iPlayer until the 1st of January 2099. So you've you've only got eighty six years to to catch that episode. So that's a you know, blink of an eye, weird. Yeah, don't that's what it says. Twenty ninety nine on the link. <laughs> so yeah, go guys,
6: uh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, should
5: catch it now. Yeah, uh, it's about odd minutes. Very good, I enjoyed it. And uh, that, that's all the items I've got there, Ian.
4: Okay. Um. Just a couple of things i like um, It's uh, no spoilers, so I'm not worried about announcing it. Um, but, of course, it was announced earlier this week. Uh, the BBC confirmed that uh, the ninth Doctor, Christopher, a- Christopher Eccleston, has decided that he will not take part in the 50th anniversary episode. The statement follows reports in the tabloid press that the actor had pulled out of the story just as for women was begin- uh, due to begin. However, the BBC makes it clear the actor was never contracted to the story, um, which uh, is currently in production. Uh, BBC Spokesman explained uh, Chris met with Stephen Moffat uh, a couple of times to talk about Stephen's plans for Doctor Who 50th anniversary episode. After careful thought, Chris decided not to be in the episode. He wishes the team all the best. So, yes. That's that then. All right. Uh, yeah, that's Some news that was posted on the uh, Doctor Who News.net site um, by Paul Schoons, Um On April 4th, uh, this month, sees the publication of Nemesis of the Daleks the 15th uh, volume in the ongoing series of the Doctor Who graphic novels published by Panini Books. Uh, The graphic novels are collections of comic strips uh, that originally appeared in the pages of Doctor Who magazine and other related titles. So you can see the uh, full list of strips uh, that are included in the graphic novel on the site. So there you go. And that's all I have. Does
5: Andy have anything for us? Oh,
4: yes. If uh, you would like to join in, unlike Christopher Eccleston, and join in on our 50th anniversary celebration, so <laughs> how you do it.
3: If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call him for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the Shoe Phone client if you have Talk Shoe Live installed. We're looking forward to hearing you.
4: Right, thank you very much, Andy, and that's how you do it. And so, with spoilers announced, Yes, there will be spoilers. It's a review. Uh, the only thing we, um, I do warn people not to spoil is, uh, of course, at the end of this episode, there is a trailer for it next week. Uh, we will be discussing that at the very, very, very end if anybody is interested. Um, but we like to give uh, people a spoiler warning in case they uh, choose not to watch those trailers for next week, which we know some of you do. So, with that, I turn the show over to Dave.
5: Okay, and before we get started, I just want to uh, check uh, Mark and see how his audio is, please, because he's just joined us uh, on audio. How are you, Mark? Mark, are you yeah, muted, resident alien?
13: Yeah, yeah, I'm here, sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. Um, two things I wanted. Uh, first of all, uh, because I know you don't often come on audio, uh, are you all right for time? And if uh, time is under pressure, would you like to go first once I've played... An introductory clip.
13: Oh, I sure would be a great privilege.
5: Well, good, and then we'll go to Jeff after yourself. Uh, We try and reverse it from the people who went first in the previous week. So I've got a clip that's nearly two minutes long, and then we'll go to you, Mark.
13: Great. So I've
2: got something for you.
5: What?
10: You
3: kept it. Of course I kept it. Why? Because this exact leaf had to grow in that exact way, in that exact place, so that precise wind could tear it from that precise branch and make it fly into this exact space at that exact moment. And if just one of those tiny little things had never happened, I'd never have met you. Which makes this the most important leaf in human history..
10: Good.
5: From you and that clip. Sorry to those people listening to the recording later.
13: Uh, okay, so am I on?
5: Yes, indeed. Uh, Great, fantastic. We're some noise. If you, oh, sorry you about that. Microphone. Or something, if you can.
13: Uh, I am outside, so it might, uh, and I'm by the sea, <laughs> that might be causing some background noise. I'll be really brief then. Um, because I, normally speaking, I can't get on audio, and I, I always listen uh, to Coldum Collective, love listening to it. And uh, just one quick, well, I'm actually on, just one quick uh, thing to say. Thank you so much for all the work that Dave and Ian do. It's massively appreciated, and I think we don't say it enough. And uh, I, for one, would love to hear more of Dave and Ian's views as well, much as I love hearing Darth and Jess and everyone else's perspective. I'd love to hear more from Dave and Ian as well. Um... Really quickly on this one, I, this is one of these ones where I kind of adored the episode, but I'm baffled as to why I liked it. I found it absolutely magical. It didn't make any sense on all sorts of levels. Completely ridiculous elements in it. You know, great big sun that looks like a Halloween pumpkin, you know, towards the end, and people singing to things and so on. I, I can see why certain people. Who don't like the episode probably won't like the episode, but um, for me, uh, there was just something magical about it. And what I love about Doctor Who is that every now and then you just get an episode where you think, just all makes sense to me. There's just something fabulous about it. It's a little bit like um, John Peel always used to say about going to see the fall that. When he went to see The Fall, just the very presence of The Fall on stage was enough for him. And, and a bit like that was Dr. Hugh sometimes. There was just something magical about it to me. If I can kind of get it down to brass tacks, I'm not just being sort of pathetic and, um, you know, just sort of gushy. I did shed it to you because I just thought the music was so exquisite. I have not heard anything as beautiful as that on TV since Planet is Viewed. And I remember at the end of Planet of the Oud where we have that kind of a hymn, and they use, reuse that theme again, I think, later on in um, Journey's End. But when I heard the music on this, it reminded me of that. And I actually did find myself, and I was with the family, so I had to sort of, you know, be a bit discreet with the old sort of tear down the cheek. But I just thought Murray Gold's music there was like nothing else. It was absolutely divine. And for me, that trumped a heck of a lot else. It trumps me some of the weird plotting. It trumps me some of the absolutely bizarre mm-hmm. elements in you know, it, like the Doctor going from barking at that chap. Um, but I thought, in, in that respect, it was just great. And it will have rewatched value for me, definitely, because there are certain moments which I thought were absolutely sublime. And I'm loving Clara. I think her performance was adorable. I thought the moment where she's behind the TARDIS with the little girl, the Queen of Years, was, was simply beautiful, beautiful. It had little elements to me, little echoes of the um, beast below, but it was so much better than that. And I quite like that sort of Star Warsy y um, conglomeration of loads of weird aliens. I, there's something quite appealing to me about that. I'd love to see Doctor Who doing that more. It must take them ages to sort of get them all made up and all the rest of it. So I'm not going to talk for very long because I've only seen this once as well, and normally speaking, in order to say something authoritative, I'd like to seen it at least a couple of times. But um, magical for me, absolutely magical. I would have given it four out of five, but the absolutely divine music for me bumps it up at least uh, half point to 4.5 so just a brief uh, few comments from me i'm looking forward to just listening into what everybody else says with renewed thanks for everything that you do on cult them great
5: thank you very much indeed mark yeah and uh, thank you for, for for coming on even if it's not ideal conditions uh hope you can make it uh, for a longer call definitely uh, uh, if you're not going to end the call straight away if you can self-mute by hitting will do start on your yeah OK, brilliant. Uh, well, uh, let's play a second clip, and then we'll go to Jeff.
10: So we're moving through actual time. So what's it made of? Time. I mean, if you can just roll it through it, it's got to be made of stuff like jams made of strawberries. So what's it made of? Well, not
3: strawberries. No, 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 no. That would be unacceptable.
10: And we can go anywhere. Within reason. Well, I say reason. So we could go backwards in time. In space, yes. And forwards in time. In space, totally. So,
3: where do you want to go, eh?
10: Hey, What do you want to see? I don't know. Do you know when somebody asks you what's your favourite book and straight away you forget every single book that you've ever read? No,
3: definitely
10: not. the thing that happens.
3: And? Back to the question.
10: Okay. So. 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 I'd like to see. I would like to see. What I would like to see is...
2: Something
3: awesome. Can you feel the light on your eyelids? Mm Mm-hmm. That is the light of an alien sun. Forward a couple of steps... Okay. Are you
10: ready? Yes. No. Yes.
3: Welcome to the rings of Akkad. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. so completely. But wait, there is more. More what? Wait, wait, wait. In about five, four, three,
10: two. What is it?
3: The Pyramid of the Rings of Akateni. Like for the singers of Akhet. The who of what? Seven worlds orbiting the same star. All of them sharing a belief that life in the universe originated here. On that planet. Or life.
2: In the universe. Did it? Well, that's what they
5: believe. Yeah, and thank you. I should have said that the, the episode we are talking about, because uh, we're having some argument about the pronunciation, apparently it's pronounced differently twice during the programme, but ACA 10 was the way that the doctor spelled it there. Uh, of course, it's um, series seven, episode eight. I believe that's right, and we're going to go to Jeff. But I just want to read what um, uh, guest five has put in the room because I quite like that. Um, um, Matt seemed very Willy Wonka <laughs> uh, here, especially in that outfit, you know, when he's telling us to kick your prize clothes and so on. Anyway, Jeff, um, hope you're going to speak for long. and I'm not quite sure what you thought about this because I think you're not quite sure yourself.
6: I'm not quite sure what I think, although I do have a lot to say. And I I feel kind of bad about that in a way because I might be saying things that other people wanted to say. But um, what I'm going to do with this is I'm just going to start from the beginning of the episode and go to the end. And I'll have things mixed in between, things that I liked, things that I didn't care for, uh, just all jumbled together. Um, and I think this is Episode 7, actually. Don't believe the no
5: eight? Christmas
6: story as uh as a number we had well, the story
5: the last week we had the story last week,
6: oh there were five, and then you had the Christmas story, and then uh, well, everybody said
5: the the bells of St. John was episode seven but, okay uh, I could be wrong
6: okay i uh, I'm not sure the way I've seen it is this is uh number seven, but I guess there's two ways to look at it. Um, The first thing uh, at the beginning of this episode is, if you look at the tombstone of Clara's mom, it says that she died on March the 5th of 2005, and I quite like this, because if you uh, look at Doctor Who lore in the past, um, the Auton attack from the very first story of the revised series took place on March the 5th, 2005. And the way that's based is the flyer saying that Rose had gone missing is dated March the 6th of 2005. So you can deduce from that that uh, the Auton attack was uh, March the 5th. So it makes you wonder, well, is that how she died in in this Auton attack? Mm -hmm. I'll spot it. So I I did quite like that. It was nice continuity with with the series itself. In fact, that is the case. Um, I I like the the question that Clara had. Uh, What is time made of? What are you going through as you go through time? And uh, I don't think we've ever heard that question before. So that's something new, um, at least to my ears. And I, I did quite like that a lot. Uh, and it's interesting that the doctor emphasized space over time kind of like he did with Rose at first that it goes through that the TARDIS goes through space and then he came back and says oh did i mention that it also travels through time so he has this thing about emphasizing the space part of the travel so those are some things that i did like and then the story kind of turned this acaton is it a planet? Maybe a g- gas giant planet? Is it a star? Is it a brown dwarf? I'm not sure. Um, you, you could take it in a lot of different ways. Uh, when they first land on that uh, that rock, um, and he describes the light of an alien sun hitting her eyes, is he talking about Akatan or something hmm. else? We, he's not really specific and then um, you see the the rock with the pyramid on it, and then he mentions, uh, according to the people on the seven planets, that they believe life started from that planet. Well, is he talking about the rock, or is he talking about Akatan behind it?
5: I'm I think confused. I think the seven. There are seven. I think it's like like Jupiter. It's a, a giant, a, a big one, and, and and the planets revolve around it. So there must be another sun somewhere else, because otherwise they're up the Kyber at the end of the episode.
6: Well, exactly. Um but if if you look at some of the shots of Akatan itself, you can see a limb on the left side that's brighter than the rest of the object. And uh, and since it's brighter I'm thinking, well that there must be another star off camera somewhere mm. or maybe it is the only star in the system that's shining its light. It looks like a gold, it
5: looks like a golden temple almost, doesn't it, in the way it's lit.
6: Yeah, yeah and, the, and the temple itself also has the light reflecting from the left. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking that there is a star off to the left. But later in the episode, and I'm kind of jumping at this point a little mm-hmm. bit, um, the, the object Akatan almost looks like a star. So it really confused me. Is this a star? Is it a brown dwarf? Is it a, uh, a planet, a gas giant planet? I don't know. It just really uh, was confusing for me. Um, I like the reference to Susan and the first doctor. Um, he said that he was there with his granddaughter. Nice uh, nice reflection back to uh, Hartnell. Um, something I didn't like was the TARDIS seemed to be very selective on how it translated all the different languages. Some of it, it, it did translate. Some of it, it didn't. Why is that? It wasn't very consistent. Um, I wondered why the doctor didn't give Clara a key to the TARDIS. It didn't appear that she had one, and she tried to open the doors without the key. If she had a key, she would have thought, well, maybe I need to use the key to get in. Um, But he was so keen on giving her a key in the snowman. Why doesn't she have one now? It didn't make sense to me. And um, if Different version of Clara. That's true, but um, the doctor has thoughts that somehow they're all connected.
9: Yes, but she doesn't know that. She doesn't
6: know that, but he does. So if they're connected in some way, and he was so keen on giving the Victorian Clara a key, why didn't he give modern-day Clara a key? Well, this
5: was a f- this was a first trip, wasn't it? Well, a first adventure, as it were.
6: Right. And so was uh, Victoria and Clara. I mean, it was the first story with that version of Clara. Well, I suppose and that he was to, wanted make, to give her a key.
5: That was to mean the po- poignancy of the fact that you know that it was just uh, her adventure was just about to start, and then she got snatched away, didn't she? Yeah. But you're quite right, it's uh, an inconsistency with it.
7: She thinks the TARDIS doesn't like her.
6: Well, that was my next point, Ken. She thinks that the TARDIS doesn't like her, and I'm wondering why. What does the TARDIS know that we don't, if that is true? In my
9: opinion, the TARDIS doesn't like any of the companions at first.
6: Really? Really?
5: It grows to okay. like... No, you mean jealous of them, jealous. not like them.
6: Well, I don't know. The TARDIS seemed to like uh, Rory, the pretty one.
5: But he's not a competition <laughs> for her, that's the point.
8: I and he likes Cheng Li. That's true. Ah. <laughs> but okay, the, let's uh, the, uh, get, uh,
9: just came on audio.
8: And, and you know, what I love about that is that it, it neatly explains why it is in the classic series sometimes you see do, you see companions open the door without a key. That always bugged me, especially during the, like, Davison era. Happened all the time during the Davison era. The, the door would be clearly closed, and then the, the, the companion just goes up to it and opens it. And I thought it was really realistic that she thought it would – that the Clara thought it would open, and it didn't. I loved that. I thought it was – why wouldn't it be that? Why would you not think that you could just open it? Because most of the time you see the doctor go in and he doesn't really use the key all the time.
6: Oh, that's a good point, Darth. Uh, you were saying, Dave? Uh,
5: yeah, yeah. I was, I was just referring as in the, the, You're talking about the scene where she goes back to, to hide the girl in the TARDIS and she's wrapping the door. She can't get in.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the exact yeah.
5: scene. Uh, and Danfros, uh, Ian's just stepped away from the mic. He'll, he'll unmute you when he gets back.
6: Uh, part of the story I hated was the part where Clara gives her mom's ring to get the bike. I, I thought that was just really rude of the doctor to expect Clara to give up something of value on her first travel in the TARDIS to get this bike. And I I, I just can't imagine that the doctor with pockets that are bigger on the inside uh, doesn't have something of value other than the sonic screwdriver that he could give for that bike. It it just didn't make sense to me. Uh, and I I just hated that that scene because of that.
5: Sorry to interrupt, Jeff. It, It made sense to me because the point was, she had to then internalize that that was the currency on this planet. She's never been into space, so she might not have been familiar. But she knows then, when she comes to the rescue of the doctor, what is used as currency. And therefore, if she hadn't have had that experience of the, the fellow feeling that what she gave him and assessing its, you know, its, its uh, emotional energy, she may then we may have wondered how she made the leap to know how to help the doctor towards the end of the story. So I think that was the reasoning behind it.
6: Well, I understand that reasoning. It's just, I, I, I can't believe that yeah. the doctor didn't have something else to give. What about Amy's glasses?
5: Yeah. Did he not right. have those? And he did one drop. But this was very much, of course, the, 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 the Companions episode, wasn't it, this one? I mean, rather than and The Enemy.
6: It was. A lot of people are comparing this to the Beast Below in, in that regard. And I don't know, I, I think more back to the end of the world for myself because you have all these uh beings that look different and they're out in space and um it, it just reminded more me of more of the end of the world than the beast below. Um Let's see. I've got a list here of things. Um, I lost where I was. Sorry. That No, that's okay. Something I just didn't understand is how the song that Mary was singing, and notice uh, I, I turned on the closed captioning to watch this the second time that I watched it. Her, her uh, name is spelled M-E-R-R-Y, not M-A-R-Y and I wouldn't have caught that if I had uh, not turned on closed captioning, how her song was going from the rock that they were on to the rock with the pyramid. Uh, Is there air in between that it's carrying the the song between the rocks? And why isn't that causing the rocks to slow down and crash into Akaton if if there is air? That didn't make any sense to me at all.
9: Maybe the pedestal itself is linked to the other rock in some way that we uh, Yeah, know and that she had a giant
5: she did have a giant amphitheatre behind her which may have but of course it's gotta it's gotta have a medium for the voice to go through unless it's transmitted electronically as you said.
6: Yeah. And
5: you would wonder why they had two singers there, but um I think some of the things were contrived to get the to get to get th- to get them over there, if you know what I mean.
6: Right. Uh, they they could have had a throwaway line that there was a you know, a radio transmitter or something that was linking the two. That, that would have cleared that up completely. But they didn't. So uh, I, I hate all these uh, things that you have to think up yourself and say, well, that's a possibility f- for the answer mm-hmm. to that problem. Um, and Jeff, we, can I ask you
7: a question if you noticed we, this? Um, Go ahead. Uh, it seems like uh, they say this happens every thousand years, correct? Right. Yeah. Well, there, there should be some kind of social consciousness about what is exactly is going to happen. It, uh, I You probably mentioned this. Is this person always sacrificed every thousand years to what eventually happens? Is is it all supposed to go smoothly? Um, well, I, I and can
6: they go, go know, ahead, go ahead, Ken. You
7: know it, it, the the nebulous quality of what the planet, gas giant, or whatever that is. There's also this nebulous quality to the ceremony about what is the, going to be the exact outcome. The other singer seems to be prepared for an eventuality because of the device on his wrist you well know, so it well, it it was very confusing to me exactly about this kind of happenstance things this followed this, followed this, followed this, followed this with no one being aware of this ancient tradition. You
9: know. I got the sense that the choristers all along but the common people really didn't know what was going
6: on well the way I took it is that things did not go smoothly and the doctor has a line later um, I think it was the doctor that has had some line something along the lines of um, that it was just the time for grandfather or the old god or whatever you want to call it to awaken it was time for it to happen that this did not happen in prior instances, the prior 1,000 year yeah. ceremonies.
5: Yeah.
6: That's how I took it now. Maybe I misread it. Dave, did you want to? Yeah, yeah,
5: I, I thought that. I mean, he he seemed to be aware that he he was going to be the anointed one, uh, and it was during his song that it would end, unless he was taking his clue from what was happening around him. The very fact that. The, for instance what seemed to be strange was the, the fact that the girl was swept from the podium, now presumably if 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 the, the grandfather or whatever wasn't going to wait, because obviously when they say once in a thousand years, it's a bit like us waiting for an ice age it, it, you know, it might be varied by a you know, hundred years or so so that girl may know that the time is coming, but it may well be the next girl or the girl after that, that it's handed over to that it may happen to um, so I got a feeling that um, uh, the very fact that she was projected over there, that could have been the signal to the other singer that he should bring his song to an end. Uh, that was the that was the awakening. But, um,
6: but why didn't he stop There was a lack singing? of
5: clarity. Well, he, yeah, when he, he stops singing, he says now the song is ended, doesn't he?
6: Yeah, he says something about I'm the last one to sing the long song or something like that. But but why didn't he stop as soon as the little girl got there? He's he's sang on for a bit.
9: I think he had a fit of con- conscience there, trying to lull the old gods back to sleep.
6: Trying to pacify
7: whatever it was. To... I'm,
5: I'm waking for these three. Um, what were they called? These um, these alien the aliens the that acolytes, came... acolytes, acolytes of the god. Yeah. Yeah. To restrain her, uh, just in case she didn't go willingly, I assume.
2: Right.
5: But you're right. I mean, I think this cause for confusion. I think it's one of those things where you know, if you if you're going along for the ride and enjoying it and not looking at it, as as Mark said, if you're following it and just being swept along by the beauty of it, then these things don't niggle. Um, other people. Well, I-, I mean, the thing the thing for me did it when as soon as they flew across in that um little spaceshipy thing and there's no uh, and there's no you know no air enclosure now obviously we know he can step outside the tardis a few feet and he can still breathe for the influence of the tardis but once he did that then i was confused i'm thinking well is it outer space they're in or is it like you said within the atmospheric what might have been a sun or a giant planet? Did it still have a, an atmosphere out that far? Very
6: well. I, I anyway. think the little, the little bike or whatever you want to call it created an atmospheric shell around it. That was my mm-hmm. interpretation of that. They and obviously it probably couldn't go very far, but it wasn't going very far. It was just going between the two rocks back and forth, mm-hmm. and it probably um, regenerated. Its oxygen supply or atmosphere supply when it got back to uh, to the the main station or whatever you want to call it, but um, yeah, and the Newtonian physics in this episode was completely destroyed. <laughs> the 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 two rocks that they were going back and forth between, they should not have stayed in to each other like that for that length of time. If you notice that the rocks in between were going faster than the inner rock, and that should not be. Uh, you, you saw the little rocks going faster in between the two, and um, so that should mean that the rock with the pyramid should be going even faster than those smaller uh-uh. ones in between uh, no, because no, no, no. of Newtonian physics.
5: And i will take issue with that. Think of the rings of Saturn. Uh, you have uh, little things in the Saturn that don't move as much because they're 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 like they call them shepherd planets, don't they? are moons, where they 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 don't move as much. If you think of the the, the moons that are actually within, they're not moons. They're, well, I suppose they are sub moons in the rings of Saturn. I think they're using perhaps that analogy maybe more.
6: Okay. Um, I, I don't think I buy that because these objects are are big. and um, they,
9: they could be, like, super, super dense, though.
6: They could be what? I'm sorry, Kobo?
9: Dense, like, really, really small, but have...
6: Well...
5: A huge
9: uh, of
6: us. Newtonian physics. The closer you are to your object that you're orbiting, the faster you have to go.
5: Yeah. But of course, there were structures on these. There, these weren't the planets. These people lived at. It was obviously a common meeting place. That That's why you had all these different alien uh, races in the you know in the uh, in the star, star Wars bar. But um, the 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 thing is, maybe the, maybe they were actually powered in some way. You know. Um, let have some sort of gravimetric station. You know, there were stationary platforms, as it were, almost to view the uh, spectacle.
6: Perhaps, um, but then you have to go into speculation yeah. again, and yeah. it wasn't I, I think it
5: rode, yeah, I think it rode roughshod over, over science all the way through. I mean, I think as um, as Perry G said on the, the collective thing, "What science, Jeff?"
6: <laughs> exactly, yeah, and he hit it on the nail right there. Um. Let's see. Um. Who traps Claire against the box that the creature was in?
5: The, girl, the young girl did that.
6: Well, I kind of got that idea, but why did she? Why did Mary leave her there for so long with the creature trying to break through the box, the glass, or whatever it is?
12: Because she was um, mad at
6: her.
8: She's mad mm-hmm. at her. Okay. She's mad at her for lying, essentially.
6: Mm. And where did she get this power to do well, that? We
5: don't know. Might be a years. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's obviously it, not an ordinary little girl if she remembers all their history. All it their just, all,
12: It just
6: came out of left field and you get
9: the sense that I, she's more of a vessel than an ordinary person.
6: Uh, it just seemed like it came out of left field, and it was just like, oh, let's throw this in. I thought her. she was
7: controlled for a moment, and then it seemed like it was coming from her. Okay. Um,
6: controlled by...
8: No, she's East. definitely not controlled. No, no. She she definitely makes an action that is, makes it very clear that she is the one that is the agent of that uh, no, I thought ener- I thought the, it was for a
7: moment that she was being controlled by the Acolytes. And then, it, mm-hmm. then it, it uh, occurred to me. No, it was her actually doing it. Yeah. I, again, I didn't get the anger or anything. I just thought it was like, it was part of her purpose or something. Or I don't know. N- no, because
8: she says right before it, she says you mm-hmm. lied to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and
7: and and then also, I guess protected.
8: you can. And I guess you can also tell, you know, why she did it because of why she releases her. 'Cause she releases her at the point where the doctor manages to calm her down and to say, you know, we really are going to take care of you and at that point she lets go of Clara.
6: It, it still seemed like it came out of left field to me and it, <laughs> yeah. why she left her against the box for so long I,
9: and I get the it sense doesn't
6: make sense to me. That
9: Clara being there was also helping to contain the monster in some way that I didn't fully understand and still don't
6: oh that's an interesting idea kobo but um something darth just um mentioned i i loved about this episode he seemed to be cha- doctor- the doctors seemed to be channeling carl sagan and the <laughs> star stuff and uh how we're made up of star stuff and explaining the supernova and the the elements being cooked and I thought that speech. You though. thought he it the speech was what? what? It was great. fake. Great. great. It was great. Uh, I think that was the part of the episode I liked the most. That was just great. But then, just after that, you get to this where Mary sings the secret song that to escape from the pyramid. And I just can't believe that the song is ah ah, ah or whatever it was. It was just
5: that <laughs> is the flus.
6: Yeah, that that that's a secret song. No words, just a syllable.
8: Okay, <laughs> so you have issue in the Five Doctors with the harp being played to open a door. Oh. Yeah, I did. Do do
5: do do do.
8: I mean, obviously, the, obviously the culture values music, so it makes sense to me that they would have doors that are coded to a particular tone.
6: Yeah, but just that, that was my big problem. It was just one word or tone. Right.
4: But this, this this song is known only to her, and only to the preceding um, uh, yeah, that's Queen of the, Years, Queen of the Queen of Years. And it's passed on telepathically, so the you know there's it wouldn't need to be complicated,
6: yeah, but um it's it's something that them. could accidentally be sung
5: but you wouldn't need to sing it unless you were in the pyramid, and nobody was in the pyramid,
7: right the her trap, and it's a specific tone
6: I, I just For had it, problems you know. yeah. with the simplicity of it.
8: But we also know that don't don't forget the door that leads to the chamber that has this other door is almost infinitely complicated in terms of its yeah. locking mechanism.
2: Yeah,
9: it's very,
8: so. very
9: true. Changer. Ten squillion tons a second as, as the doctor points out. Well,
5: what about uh, Jeff get to get back to you, what about the uh the, the use of the uh, sonic screwdriver in this episode? We okay that
6: the I didn't have a problem with the sonic screwdriver in this episode. I didn't think it was overused.
9: Really? That bothered me more than the one one tone secret door.
6: Really? Well, why is that, couple?
9: Because if it changes 10 squiggly times a second, how the heck did the sonic screwdriver get a lock on the tumbler so fast? I mean,. That made no sense at all. Other than, oh, let's make a convenient plot device to get.
6: Well, the doctor it clearer. is. That's what the sonic screwdriver is. I just have come to accept that. I mean, okay. it's it, it's not like he used it. It's you know, twenty times in this episode.
5: Let, let that's, me, let,
6: that's when I oh. have a problem with the object. Nah, I'm sorry, Dave. Go ahead.
5: No, no, no. I was going to say, um, uh, let me just play another clip, and, and and maybe you can pick out some of the things that you know, perhaps saved it. Are whether you're going to watch it again, or a uh, sort of rating. But uh, we'll, we'll c- come back to you. All right. So, what's happening? Someone trying to hurt
10: you? No. I'm just scared. What? You think wrong. Okay, can you pretend like I'm totally a space alien and explain? I'm Mary Goel. Really not local, sorry. The Queen of Years. He chose me when I was a baby. The the last Queen of Years died. Okay. I'm the vessel of our history. I know every chronicle, every poem, every legend, every song. Every single one. Blimey, I hate history. Now I have to sing a song in front of to everyone.
2: A special song. I have to sing it to a god. I'm
10: really scared. Everyone's scared when they're little. I used to be terrified of getting lost. I used to have nightmares about it. And then, I got lost. Blackpool Beach, bank holiday Monday. About ten billion people. I was about <laughs> six. And where's that man come true? What
2: happened?
10: My world ended. My heart broke. And then my mum found me. We had fish and chips and she drove me home and she took me up and she told me a story. doesn't matter where you are. In the jungle or the desert or on the moon. However lost you might feel, you'll never really be lost. Not really.
5: the companion aspect to the story? I mean, go wherever you want, Jeff. of course.
6: Well, I thought Clara was very strong in this story. Uh, I've liked her character in all three incarnations uh, since Asylum of the Daleks. Uh, Clara has just been great so far. Uh, But let me wrap up what I was going to say, and I'm going to condense it a little bit because I've been talking for quite a while. The crux of my problem with this story is toward the end, um, the the old god or grandfather or whatever you want to call him, was supposed to eat souls, wasn't he?
2: Mm-hmm.
6: And the doctor offers his memories um, mm-hmm. to the old god, and it, it seems like the doctor still has all of his memories. Was, he, was the old god just copying the memories instead of eating them or taking them? I, that, that didn't make any sense to me. And then Clara shows up with the leaf, and she says, you know, this represents an infinite number of possibilities, or maybe the doctor said that. And the oh, old god she can't... It. She said it? Okay. Um, the old god, you know can't take it all and disappears, basically. It just collapses and disappears. And I'm thinking to myself, well, doesn't any object represent uh, a huge number of possible possibilities? Uh, why is the leaf so special?
5: Because it, it actually in one of its possibilities, I mean, it actually was pivotal to her. So there was an emotional energy within it uh, one presumes that she exactly. resonated with but, yeah, but that, um, yeah, I agree yeah, with you yeah. about the other thing why, why wasn't, why, I mean because we've had this from the, the other stories you know where the Doctor's being forgotten where Clara, you know, wipes the the memory of the Doctor and the Daleks and something else gets to it. I was thinking, you know is, is actually, are we going to a scene where the Doctor's now going to have lost all his memories of Gallifrey and so on
6: but um, it doesn't seem it like he lost. That, right? oh. No, it, it, it doesn't. So that whole ending made no sense to me at all. And if this was a star in the system, hmm. again, clear if it is or not, what happens to the system without this star being there?
8: Well, I think it's you star, I think it, why would uh, you assume it's a star? Just because it looks like one? Well, well it's just does
5: say mean, that these planets, these planets at least orbit around it, whether it's a star or a giant we, planet, their we, moons. We don't, we don't
8: have enough of a wide shot to know that they're truly orbiting it, I don't think. I mean, well, I, I, well, I, I, can't, I can't imagine why we would assume that it is a star with the mass of a star. That doesn't make any sense at all, because it's clearly a... I mean, I, get, I don't know. We have living suns, I suppose, in 42, but...
5: Were, I, I don't think it, it was the because they, they, yeah. they were so near it, they would have been cooked
2: up. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
6: maybe not with a brown dwarf, if it was a brown dwarf, but uh brown dwarf is bigger than planets, and if it... It's indeed, still about was a six brown, million
5: degrees. <laughs> well,
6: they, they could have been far enough away from it, but... Um, hmm. Because I think, think it's life
8: form that just happens to be. I think it's just a sentient life form that happens to be big. I think yeah. it was unfortunate, maybe, that they decided to make it look like a star. I mean, that was sort of well, to that's the best design they could do. But
5: the doctor said and it, it's a virus, not a virus. Um, something that's living in the planet, parasite. 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 Yeah. yeah.
6: Well, to, to confuse it, the dialogue when they first get there was not very clear. Well, you're left guessing is this the planet is it a brown dwarf is it a star what is it we're not sure I, I definitely
8: didn't think it was an astronaut's body I thought
6: Clara it was living
2: says my
9: stars
6: what was that Cobo
9: when, when the doctor's about to fight it Clara very clearly says my stars so
6: that's just, that's well, that's also, just a phrase yeah, that's a she
9: phrase obviously that. assumes it's a, I took it to assume that she assumed that there was a star.
8: Uh, Jeff, the, the, you got an interesting point there about the, you know, why didn't the doctor's memories go away? Um, but the thing is, nobody knows what would happen. You know, it's all legend. It's all superstition. There's nobody alive who would know what the possibility is because, you know, it happens once every thousand years, and the person who dies doesn't have any contact with anybody else after they die because they're in the room, right? They're locked away. Fair point. Uh, so, we don't, you know, it's a legend, so why would we buy into the legend? That's sort of the point of the story is, you shouldn't buy into the legend. Well, uh,
6: I'll
9: this end on...
5: this thing certainly wasn't a god. Yeah, I mean, I, I got the confusion with the, you know, the impossible astronaut, not the impossible, the, uh, the Satan pit. Well, in other words, I was thinking that the mentality of this creature was in the, the giant planet, and its body was the one in the cage, but um, the doctor then says uh, it's the uh, it's the creature's wake up call, or
6: yeah, alarm clock, either. alarm
5: clock or something. Yeah. But I was thinking back to the um, you know the, the the Satan Pit with the with the body of the alien being there, but its mentality being in, in the large mass of the, the this giant planet or whatever it was. I also, by the way, thought about that uh, transparent casket thing reminded me of uh, Keeper of Track and I'm sure there was a similar sort of uh, cabinet thing in that, wasn't there?
6: been a long time. time mm-hmm. The th- similarity with glass
4: walls pretty much in a chair. In the yeah.
5: And then 42 yeah. it reminded me of where, of course, when they try and take some of the sun away for uh, for fuel, they get dragged back right.
6: to it. Right. Well, I'll end on on two notes. Um, the look that the doctor has as Clara leaves the TARDIS at the end of the story was very odd. Uh, I just wonder what he's thinking in his head when she leaves. Um, he's just got this very funny look on his face. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and watch it again. And a rating for this story, boy, I'm all over the place with this story, so I'm <laughs> not quite sure what to give it. There were parts that I really liked, parts I really didn't care for at all, kind of like DARS review from last week, so maybe I'll split the difference and say two and a half.
5: Okay, okay, yeah. Uh, uh, it's quite a few of the things that you said there, were things that were going through in my mind, but I'll have a... We're, we're going in reverse order from last time, so we'll go with Kobo next, but I'll play another clip, then we'll go to Cobo. Ah! Hello
3: there. I'm the Doctor. And you met Clara. She was supposed to be having a nice day out. Still. It's early. Yes. Huh. Are you coming, then? Did I mention that the door is immensely heavy?
2: Please! wait, Tim. Really, quite
3: extraordinarily heavy.
2: Ah.
10: Uh-huh. <laughs> Mary, we need to leave No, go away Not without you You said I wouldn't get it wrong And then I got it wrong And now this has happened Look what happened You didn't get it wrong How do you know? You don't know anything You have to go Go now or it needs us all Well, he's ugly You know, to be honest I don't think he looks big enough
2: Not on me our souls. <laughs> he doesn't want you. He wants me. If you don't leave he'll leave you all up too. And you oh, don't want
3: that, do you? God. You want us to walk out of this? Really? Quite astonishingly heavy door. i never come back. Yes. I see. Right. That was right. Absolutely never gonna happen. <laughs>
2: Could
10: you just lock us in? Yep. With the soul-eating monster? Yep. And is there actually a way to get out?
3: What? Before I eats our
10: Ideally, yeah. Possibly. Probably.
3: It usually seems to be.
10: Doctor. Why is he still singing? He's trying to send the old gone back to sleep. But well, that's
3: not going to happen. He's waking up, mate.
10: He's coming, ready or
3: not. You want to run?
2: That's it, then.
3: The song's over.
12: The song is over. My name is Chorister Respethics. And the long song ended with me.
3: That's it then. Song's over.
5: And, you know, they, I, I think uh, they've been trying to get a lot of references in the 60th anniversary because I'm, I'm hearing the Aztecs in there again with the blooming door closing behind them. They're all trapped in. The sun's going to blink out. There's a sacrifice. <laughs> Lots of them. Anyway, Kobo.
9: Very, very quickly because I just had some company arise. After this, I'll be signing off and listening to the rest of your life, like comments during the week, but I loved this episode because it reminded me of the essence of the show really. The doctor making speeches that can literally make parasite gods burn and aliens turn tail and run. And the Sonic screwdriver, as as Jeff rightly said, wanted the story of the show. Thank god for once and I, like i said i had more of a problem with the sonic screwdriver locking into those harmonic tumblers than i did the secret passages being a tonal note because as darth pointed out the only person that would know it would be the keeper of ears so it wouldn't Need to be overly complicated, especially given that the outer door changes 10 squillion times a second. But I love this episode based on the doctor's speeches, based on Clara's speech to the Keeper ears. Um, the The fight that the Doctor has with the vigil really kind of irritated me because it uses the Sonic screwdriver to fend them off. But that's what the Sonic screwdriver does. Gets the Doctor out of any and every situation.
5: But It showed a visual barrier. That was what surprised me. But it was holding the back, you could actually see, like, a visual barrier.
9: Yeah, I guess they had to represent it Somehow, and that just really bugged me. And that's the only thing that really prevented it from getting five out of five for me was that little niggling thing. But I give it a four out of five because it was a companion story that worked. Claire was clearly the star of this episode, and. I got the sense why the doctor didn't lose his memory is because Clara shows up at the nick nick of time and saves the doctor with the leaf. God knows what would have happened if the parasite like had absorbed the doctor fully and completely but I got the sense that Clara showed up
5: and yet the leaf was actually taken in physical form as well as memories wasn't it so like you said, like was said before I mean it was a destructive taking of the memories certainly in the case of the leaf but apparently not so with the doctor's memories uh,
2: I think
9: there was so much there to absorb that the parasite didn't have time to absorb it all so maybe he got none of the doctor's memories
5: maybe no 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 he abs- he, the doctor gave his memories and then the the planetoid or whatever it was shrank as though it succeeded, and then it reestablished itself as so though it, it it thought it was full, but it wasn't full,
7: and Almost, it came Almost, not good enough.
5: Yeah, yeah. And no, uh, no,
2: cigar, that one, Yeah,
9: that was one of the lovely lines of the episode. There's a huge difference between what was and what could have been. There's a large amount of the other, but there's there's a large amount of one, but an infinite amount of the other. That's a lovely, lovely line of the doctors.
6: And scientifically, that's not true. There is not an infinite number of alternatives.
8: Well, in the science fiction show, then. Yeah.
9: <laughs> but, as I said, that's my quickie review, and I'll listen to the rest of your thoughts, especially yours, Darth, later on in the week. I'm really, really curious to hear what everybody thought, but I've got to go, guys, so bye.
5: Okay, and we want to wait long, I hope, for Darth, because uh, I'll play a clip, and then we'll go to Darth, and then we'll go to Ken. We're going in reverse order of last week, uh, just so you're aware of that. So we'll play a clip, and then we'll go to uh, Darth, if we may.
10: Go.
2: Grandfather's awake.
3: There is no function anymore.
10: Well, you could sound happier about it.
3: Actually, I think I may have made a bit of a tactical boo-boo. More of a semantics mix-up, really. What
10: boo-boo?
3: I thought the old god was grandfather, but it wasn't. It was just grandfather's alarm clock.
10: Sorry, a bit lost. Who's the old god? Is there an old god? Unfortunately, yes.
3: And, sir, I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. Any
2: ideas? You promised. You promised. I did. I
3: did. I did promise.
2: he needs us all. He'll spread across the system, consuming the seven worlds. And when there's no more to eat, he'll embark on a new world to see among the stars.
10: I say like it. Like it where exactly? I don't know. Like
3: Oh, the Lake District's lovely. Let's definitely go there. We can eat scones. They did great scones in 1927.
10: You're going to fight it, aren't you?
3: Regrettably, yes. I think I may be about to do that. It's really big. I've seen bigger.
10: Really? Are you joking? It's massive. I'm saying with you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. I can... is this? No, you can't. What about that stuff you said? We don't walk away.
3: No, we don't walk away. But when we're holding on to something precious, we run. We run and run fast as we can, and we don't stop running until we are out from under the shadow. Now, off you pop. Take the moped. I'll walk.
5: Okay, Darcy, good to go now?
8: I am indeed. Yes, um... You know, I hate to say it, but it just might be that somehow Stephen Moffat has managed to executive produce something that is actually Doctor Who. Um, I have to tell you, this is uh, finally, after you know, two years of waiting since Let's Kill Hitler, an episode of Doctor Who that I actually thoroughly enjoyed. And that I don't really have that many reservations about at all. I think it's a uh out of the park five. It's it's one of the very few episodes of Stephen Moffat produced Doctor Who that I actually do love. And I have uh had to watch it uh, three, four times since it aired, and that's only been a day. And every time I watch it, I've liked it more, and I'm not really spotting anything that um, precludes my enjoyment. And I think the reason is because, as I just sort of alluded to, it is science fantasy not science fiction. And this is a a big distinction for me as to what makes good Doctor Who, because to me, good Doctor Who has science that is crazy, but uh, science being the solution to the problem. And that whole speech that he gives to the queen of years in which he explains fundamentally that she is a product of science that that her existence is random and improbable and shouldn't have happened but yet it did because a star exploded if
4: I could interrupt for a second um, uh-huh. I actually grabbed this clip specifically for the show would you like me to play it?
8: Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. good,
3: she should be scared she's sacrificing herself, she should know what that means Do you know what it means, Mary?
10: A god chose me.
3: It's not a god. It'll feed on your soul, but that doesn't make it a god. It is a vampire, and you don't need to give yourself to him. Hey, do you mind if I tell you a story one you might not have heard? All the elements in your body were forged many, many, millions of years ago in the heart of a faraway star that exploded and died. That explosion scattered those elements across the desolations of deep space after so, so many millions of years the elements came together to form new stars and new planets and on and on it went the elements came together and burst apart forming shoes and ships and sealing wax and cabbages and kings until, eventually they came together to make you you are unique in the universe. There is only one Mary last and there will never be another. Getting rid of that existence isn't a sacrifice; it is a waste.
8: I was going to
4: say that for mine, but since you brought it up, I thought it needed to be
8: yours. Oh yeah, oh. I mean, I, I, I just think that it is unbelievably refreshing to have that back in doctor who because that is fundamental to the dna of the show the show is not a fairy tale it is a rather a show that has an educational remit it is a show that is supposed to tell you that science solves problems but it's also supposed to say you know Let's not bother with the scientific details of the situation that we might be in. It doesn't matter that there's not an air shell around us. It doesn't matter that you know gravitational force might be improbable about where these asteroids are spinning. It does matter, though, at a core level that you understand the more you know, the less you will be afraid. That is what Doctor Who is telling you. From time immemorial, this is what Verity Lambert was saying. This is, you know, this is in the Aztecs. Even though I don't like the Aztecs, one of the things that is great about the Aztecs is that it fundamentally says, look, you know, it is just a scientific phenomenon. The eclipse of the sun is it's not the basis for killing people. It's not the basis for some religious rite. It is just an eclipse. That is all. And you see it, I mean, it is obviously a goal of Barry Letts. It's obviously a goal of Philip Hinchcliffe. You see it right the way through. You even see vestiges of it in, you know, the Sarah Jane adventures, um, you know, because that is the clear lesson that she learned from the fourth Doctor. This is what Doctor Who is. And somehow Moffat has missed it. I don't know how he's missed it. But somehow for the last two years we've had, you know, endings like what happens with the lodger. I'm mean, sorry, with the uh, closing time, where you just sort of improbably think about something, and some that makes you escape cyber conversion. That doesn't make any sense because there's no groundwork laid for that. Now, we can debate, I suppose, whether the ending of this story makes any particular sense, whether it is love conquers all or not. And I would say it is absolutely not love conquers all because it's established in the story that there is a certain power to your thoughts and your memories and that an entire economy is based on that. And because that was set up in the episode, you can then have an ending, which is, let's say thematic, let's say philosophical and not literal. Um, and and thereby make an important emotional point. What's great about the episode is that it's got you know this core message of science will save you. You don't have to sacrifice yourself because there are some rules set by a religion. But on the other hand, it also says it has this powerful emotional content surrounding Clara. And I think that's an amazing feat. Um, I, I think you know if you're going to compare it to what we'll call the second episode, because second episodes are really the most important episodes ever in Doctor Who, right? I mean, the Daleks, that's much more important than an Unearthly Child. Um, I would argue that Highlanders is much more important than Power of the Daleks. Certainly, Ark in Space, much more important than Robot, because those second episodes tell you, you know, the first episode is an introduction. The second episode, that's where you understand What's really going to happen with this particular team? And I think as second episodes go, man, you can draw comparisons to Beast Below, but the comparison that I got is this is the Beast Below done right because the Beast Below you know, has all these logical fallacies in it, and it's based upon knowing information. And so what makes that episode fail is – it doesn't make any sense that that the doctor wouldn't know that information. It's so undoctor like for him to not just you know take a visual scan of something. But here everything is much more logical, and not only that, but you know if you remember in Beast Below, Amy knows things about the doctor that we never see her ever get the information about i mean there's no way she could have known what she needs to know by the end of the episode in order to solve the problem of the whales. There's no way she could have possibly known that the doctor is a lonely god. She doesn't, she doesn't know him that well. It's not possible for her to have that information at that time. But what you see in this episode is instead taking the time to make us understand, to fall in love with, and, and to completely be on board with Clara. The, the time is taken to establish that this is a girl who has agency, unlike Amy, kind of. I mean, Amy kind of gets some balls at the end of that episode. But, I mean, in a lot of ways, Amy is along for the ride most of the time. But, you, you I mean, it is not Clara's idea. I mean, sorry, it, it is Clara's idea to not run away from these people. It's not the doctor's. The doctor doesn't. I mean, the doctor only comes back and confirms what she says. She's bitching at him to make sure that they don't leave people behind, which is fabulous. Um, we also see, you know, I think there's, there's, there's something different about the way that Amy meets the little girl in in the Beast Below, as to the meeting between Clara and um, Mary here because i think you know the little girl that she meets in in beast below first of all that character is not that important to the, that story and secondly you get the sense that she's trying to tell that girl to break the law kind of which is okay i mean part of doctor who is to be a rebel sort of but it's not really it's not really you don't get the sense that amy is actually trying to make that girl's life all that much better here you know it's in character that she has this relationship because the one good thing about this very long introductory process since the the snowman is you understand that that fundamentally the character of clara no matter what incarnation we're talking about has something to do with kids has something to do with uh you know either kids or entertaining people or somehow you know making people's lives somewhat better and and the conversation that happens here is definitely one of you know don't be afraid you're going to be able to get through this everything's going to be fine and it and it establishes this uh, rapport with the audience that Amy never got on her second episode really and I think it's one of the reasons that a lot of people have fallen out with Amy it's just there was never any kind of emotional hook there there was never sense that this girl deserved to be traveling with the Doctor at all. Whereas I think right out of the gate here with this one, not last week necessarily, but certainly here, um, you know, there's no doubt. I mean, at this point, I would feel cheated, just after this one episode, I would absolutely feel cheated if uh, JLC does not continue on to the next Doctor. Because I want to see her with a different Doctor. Like I think, at this point, I honestly think that the acting balance on this show is in her favor. She's the stronger actor, and and that's an amazing thing. Because I never felt that. I mean, you know, Billy Tyler, uh, Billy uh, Piper was great, and you know, certainly, um, you know, uh, the Alfred other people Tate. who followed have been, have been great as well. But I never felt like the companion actor was a better actor than the doctor actor. But I absolutely feel that this girl has some magic now. I mean, she really – you can – just look at the first scene that she's in. They hold that camera on her, waiting on the steps forever. I mean, it's like 30 seconds that they're just looking at her face. And what she does to make you understand her position, that she's sitting there anticipating and yet sort of nervous about going on to travel with the doctor, it's amazing. She ha- you can just put the camera on her, and you will be able to get the story out of her without anything. This girl could do, I'm convinced now, silent film acting, and everybody would be in love with her. Um, so I am so in this camp now, and I really wasn't, and it's great that I am finally excited about Stephen Moffat doing something. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to be on that, on that train now the other thing you know that's great to mention here is this girl this uh, Amelia Jones the girl who was uh, you know the uh, queen of years fabulous just fabulous actor and I this is again Andy Pryor as casting director his remarkable track record uh, of finding really good actors um who are let's say under the age of 16 barely has he made a mistake in that regard since 2005. And here again, I mean, this is maybe the the biggest role in Doctor Who ever given to somebody under the age of 16 um, for one episode, at least. I mean, we could say Caitlin Blackwood because she recurred, that was sort of a big role, but she never had as big a bite out of any episode as, as this girl did. And if you really look at the episode, It is all about her. It's not exactly... I mean, people have been saying, oh, it's all about um, Clara this time around. And that's true to an extent. But honestly, all of the fear in the episode is derived from believing her. If you don't believe in what Amelia Jones is doing, the episode's gone. There's nothing left in this episode. Because honestly, what have you got? You got You got a monster in a box. And then... You got a green screen for whatever the entity is for the grandfather, and that's it. You've got nothing else helping you out here. It, well, Murray Gold and you know a lot of the music that was in this I thought was really good to, to selling the fear. But in terms of what is actually going on, any kind of direct action, there is no action. Everybody is you know on green screen looking off into the distance, and that's about it. And so, if you don't believe that this girl is scared, you got nothing in this episode. And she just knocks it way out of the park. Um, so there's great acting. There's great. Uh, I think there's great writing. I, I I don't know if other people think that. I mean, there seems to be some, uh, you know, again, questions of what the science is. That's not so important to me. I to me, the writing is just immaculate because um, – and, and I suppose this is the fault line between, to make a more modern reference, I guess, people who liked Life of Pi and people who didn't like Life of Pi. Uh, if you like Life of Pi, then you're willing to accept storytelling that is thematic in nature. And, and, and what you value in your stories is whether the symbolism works to produce an emotional effect in you. And if you didn't like Life of Pi, then you're like – you know, why did I waste my time watching this since I don't know what the hell happened in it? Um, And, you know, I'm very firmly in the, in the former camp. And what, what's great thematically about this episode is the way that the leaf ties everything together. Um, And what the leaf represents. And it was one of the great things about the episode because well first of all, you know, I I never knew watching this episode how it was going to end. I had no idea. And it has been forever since I've seen an episode of Doctor Who. And again, this is probably since let's go Hitler, really. Since I've seen an episode where I didn't kind of sort of really very much know how it was going to end because at this point Moffat has become so predictable in his unpredictability that you, you know, the timey-wimey stuff doesn't work anymore. So, to have a story that is devoid of timey-wimeyness, but instead has a hell of a lot of music and a narrative about a girl on a planet that doesn't really have a single racial component to it, but lots of different. Ra- I had no idea where it was going, except you knew it had to have something to do with a leaf, but how was the leaf exactly going to happen? Uh, and then. You knew maybe, okay, yes, she is somehow going to sacrifice this leaf to this God, but why would that resolve things? And for the resolution to be the incredibly clever line of the that the potential of life that doesn't happen is more valuable than a thousand years of what has happened. <laughs> That was just jaw droppingly poetic. And I just thought that's an amazing theme to put here in the Moffat era. I mean, honestly, that is so much better than, you know, the power of love is going to solve the situation. This isn't the power of love. This is this is a theme that that actually has some relevance. I mean, that's the great thing when Doctor Who is working, is that it does give you something that you can take away with you. You know, if you're sitting there at the end of Maskum and Dragora Part One and you see the Doctor with a meat cleaver above his neck and you're wondering how the hell did he get out of that, the the great thing that Doctor Who tells you is don't give up, don't let the axe fall, whip out your scarf. Yank the guy away from you and leave. That's what you do. You don't give in to the situation. And here, you know, the, it, it, it doesn't matter that the science is all over the map. It matters what the story is trying to tell you, and that is infinitely more valuable than you know. Just uh, if the if the story made complete logical sense scientifically. I don't know that that I would get as much out of it, you know, and, and stories that try to be about science. And I think, I think that really beast below is trying to be sort of about science. It's trying to be about, there's a certain logical progression of things and, you know, because it's all about trying to deduce what's going on. It is, it is firmly about, you know, what is it that you observe and what can you learn from those observations? And then fundamentally the doctor doesn't observe what is so bleedingly obvious. Um, and, and that's why that sucks. But this thing, you know, is not about trying to connect the dots. It is instead about, you know, what are the themes we – what are we going to take away with our life? And how is this situation not only good for the audience, what, it, what can the audience learn from this, but how does it illustrate what this new companion is about? And it, it does all those things magnificently so that you're set up thinking, right. I am going with this companion on a journey, just like I went with Rose, just like I went with Martha, and just like I went with Donna, and it's fine. And we're back to Doctor Who, so you know whatever else happens, at, at least there was one good episode of this particular team. And I, I honestly think they're probably going to get it right now. I think if this is what we're, if, we, if this is what we're doing from now on, I'm on board. And the other great thing is. I think that this episode does show us we are thankfully not going back to the stupidity of 7A the the ridiculousness of uh you know one-off movies that there is actually some sort of narrative that is going to be touched on every single time and that we've not gotten scared of doing proper serial storytelling just because Stephen Moffat's two previous attempts have been crap. I mean, I'm glad that at least he's not gotten off the horse and you know is you know, walking away with his tail between his legs trying to do something different. I'm glad he's actually back on doing serial stuff because I think this one might work. I really, really think this one might work. So five out of five for me, and on to the next person. Okay, as we welcome
5: Perry into the room, I'm sure Ian will mute you in a moment, Perry. Uh, Let me uh, play another clip that includes that bit about infinity. Um, And then uh, we'll go to Ken if we may. As I say, we're going in reverse order from last time.
3: We don't walk away.
10: for you this the most important leaf in human history the most important leaf in human history full of stories full of history (laughs) and full of a future that never got lived Days that should have been that never were. Pass on to me. <sighs> this leaf isn't just the past; it's a whole future that never happened. There are billions and millions of unlived days for every day we live, an in infinity, all the days that never came. And these are all my moments. Well,
3: come on in. Eat up. I expect so. Because there's quite a difference, isn't there, between what was and what should have been. There's an awful lot of one, but there's an infinity of the other.
5: thinking that uh, we'll go to Ken in a moment. Remind me again of that um that creature left in in Star Trek that's that mud in Star Trek Next Generation when there's a black inky puddle uh and it's it's left there and it it takes Tashia yeah. Spoiler, spoiler alert Um anyway, let's go to Ken as we welcome Perry with G to join us. Ken
7: Okay. Um very much Clara's episode. And it's the episode that's introducing the new companion to traveling in the universe with the Doctor. And I love how the episode begins Uh, very different. We get the story of This Is Your Life, Clara, from the beginning. How her father and mother met by a happenstance of a leaf blowing in his face. And his life saved by her mother. Um, How a small occurrence of nature can lead people together, change lives. And I think love is very much at the heart of the episode. And actually it signifies a lot of the heart in the character of Clara. She's been a governess. She has this love and caring, nurturing for children and others, her mother in the prologue says, I'll never leave you. I'll always take care of you. And because of the loss of her mother, I think that's deeply ingrained in her to share that caring. And it, it speaks volumes to how good a person and how an amazing companion uh, she's starting to be. What I found... Disconcerting, and there's something about this incarnation of the doctor, the kind of stalker aspect uh, of him following the courtship, early life, childhood, and what have you of Clara. Uh, I, I thought it was it was great him behind a, a copy of Bino, uh, sitting there, you know, on a, on a park bench. You know, uh, watching, you know them them together, but it, it's very strange. You've never you've never had a doctor that is getting so involved, and in, and this is something
8: mm, non doctor Rose uh,
7: not, we're not, when you
8: were 12.
7: not not to this extent. We don't see it, but it happens. We know that it yeah, happens. Yeah, well, but but there's this there's this also this obsession um, that. I really don't like, but it, it's part of the game of the mystery of the companion. The companion has now become such a focal point, not even the story of their lives um, as it was. I mean, the beginning of the, the revamp was Rose's story, we could call it. But, it. but it was so much ingrained with the loneliness of the Time Lord and, and his story about the the uh, the last son of Gallifrey, so to speak. But there's so much about first with Amy and her mysteries and her family mysteries, and now with Clara. And I'm along for the ride, and I'm hoping, as Darth said, it's going to be a really interesting payoff. But I just like Clara, who she is, who this character is, who she showed us she is in this episode so brilliantly. And that's the crux of what I enjoyed so much in it. Yes, and I, I really can't believe, too, there are so many people who cynically are just loathing this episode. I mean, just loathing it. Now, I don't know what, I don't know what they're seeing. Yes, there are reminiscent strains of Satan Pit, End of the World, and Beast Below. After you do a story, stories enough, you're you're going to get these tropes that are repeated. It matters are there individual things enough that make this valuable and worth watching. Um. Okay, things that I liked about the episode: Clara's relationship with the Doctor was just spot on. Her. Waiting outside for the TARDIS. This is a new adventure for her. Her attitude about where do you want to go in the universe. I love that she she can't just put a focal point on it. Her eagerness and joy of that. I I've, I've never seen a companion filled with this this kind of that zest for life and the joy of the situation. Um, the her interaction. With Mary, again, because of the governess role and her character, there was such a nice rapport. You immediately really like this little girl. You're drawn into her situation. You're, you're fearing for her, and, and, and that makes it really focal uh, to it. The music, Marie's Gold music, the choral attitude uh, used, I, I, I thought, was lovely. What I didn't like, and I don't know why it bothered me, because I've, I really liked End of the World, the way aliens were used. I thought that the Cantina kind of riff aliens, it just didn't work for me. It, it They came off trite. I don't know why. It It just didn't work. It the look of it seems so studio bound, so it, kind of claustrophobic to me. I,
8: yeah, I got it. You know what it is? I tell you what it is. It's it's cinematography. Cinematography sucked on this one. It really yeah. did. The, and the, 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 you can see the joints on everything. Yeah.
7: And the 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 scene in, in the stadium. Instead of feeling that it was gigantic and wonderful, I, I, oh God, when they start singing and everyone starts rocking back and forth i'm imagining the feeling and I'm, i you know i don't get cynical here but i imagine their lighters going on and just rocking back and forth at the concert and the music's wonderful i just wish there was a more subtle way of doing it look at look at uh, something like um oh please help me with the name i'm i'm the Alzheimer's is hitting in um the uh, gridlock excuse gridlock the use of music oh, and yeah. the poetry of that has me in tears it it works totally for me and the, i I wish it was peopled moff Moffitt, and I know this is not written by Moffitt, we have the uh, the, the writer of Luther here a showrunner, yeah, doing his his first writing uh uh on on who and I, I just, they were like little bits, like the growling and the aliens. They, they just seemed thrown in. They didn't seem characters that seemed alive. Uh, that that kind of bothered me. But a casual viewer is going to go, look, cute aliens. I like it. You know, I I, I could get that. There was a nebulous quality to the ceremony. I don't care about the science and the rings and it seemed the attitude that there were seven planets that are going around in this body and this is at the center, this is the font of all creation. Again, visually, it did not work with me when the planet manifested itself. It, it, it did kind of look like a jack-o'-lantern in a way with a, with a scowly face. I wish there was a vocal cue or something to give some sense of menace. What, what was the planet going to do? W- was anyone harmed? Was there, If actually we had seen uh, some destruction, um, some, some people slain or something, and that the song and the doctor's work and Clara placated and stopped this from happening, then we were seeing this threat. If, if it was, uh, there, there was something, a, a death-eating planet was at the center of the film Fifth Element. If it was something like that, some kind of living, dark entity, maybe maybe it could have been done that there was not an evil aspect to this, but that use, using that the coin of the realm was something precious to you maybe that's what nourished this world that it could have been a more positive I I don't like that at the end after all was said and done that this planet entity imploded because that says to me if that's been there for forever and this was spoken about as being a font of creation nature abhors a void. And something's going to happen to the planets, the entities. I'm I'm not going to niggle on the scientific thing. But if this is destroyed, there's going to be a, a physical and an emotional cataclysm to these people because this is something their their God has been shown to be a sham. Something they have worshipped and it's it's a nice comment on don't worship false gods and I like that very much but I would have liked some kind of scene or culturally uh, it's going to be tough going maybe because they just found out that behind the curtain Oz the Great and Terrible is just is just a uh, bunko artist so I, I wish that it could have delved into something like that which I know is maybe impossible in 46 minutes the doctor's speech at the end I love when Matt Smith of speeches. I loved in the 11th hour and in Pandorica opens when he shuts down his foes with I'm the doctor, fear me. I don't know what it was this time. Uh, it, maybe it was the baby line at the end. Maybe it was his cadence. I felt acting from Matt Smith and I am a big booster for him. It did not work for me. Now, the Carl Sagan's speech to Mary was joyous beyond words. That was beautifully done. And the attitude of the possibility of a life cut off, that that destroys a problem, that that is the crux of it. I thought it was beautiful in its simplicity and tying the episode together with that, I, I thought I thought was wonderful, because it, it also showed it, it wasn't just Clara was using her mind, her life, her life's experiences. It wasn't just pushing a button. It it wasn't just something very fast. She was sacrificing something. And I and I I agreed earlier. I I don't like the way she had to give up the ring. Uh, for the moped, that, that seemed very callous to me of the doctor. That you have to give something special of yourself. They both should have given something. You know that that might have worked. I mean, I know that had to be established. That was so important. You know, to the rest of the episode, you have to uh, establish that the coin <laughs> of the realm is emotion. That is, and
5: that she and that she knew
7: it. Yeah, and that oh. Without that, you have no ending. Without that, you have no yeah. ending. But um, it it isn't the most spectacular episode, but it's a great companion episode. Mm-hmm. It's great for that. It's great for General Louise Coleman to just grab our hearts. And I I liked Amy. I liked Rory better. I liked them together. Already she's just blown her away. And it's just, there's just, she is so watchable and, and so good in the role. I want to see this journey. I want to see where it's going. And, and it, it, it's really good. Some nice things. I, I love the remark that I was here with my granddaughter. Nice 50th anniversary touch. Uh, very good. Um, I, again, I thought the singing was nicely handled. It just, the look of the episode didn't, didn't move me. I, I, it, it could have been something to me beautiful. Some people thought the images were beautiful in it. It just left me cold. And I thought the crowd scenes kind of almost bordered on a little bit silly to me and And usually that really works uh, you know the aliens and everything i I think it's way really directed. We are seeing the tardis more brightly lit uh so that that's interesting so uh, I guess with the doctor's mood swing into a more positive nature uh we get to see a little more positively lit tardis so uh, that that that's nice to see that um, i I would give it. Um, four TARDIS groans four TARDIS groans really interesting effort some strange things in it very different kind of episode but sold on the performances especially General Louise Coleman and the young girls uh, performance uh, were were just uh, enchanting and and really great and I think we should go to uh, Perry if he's, yes, indeed. If he's there.
5: I've, uh, I've already suggested we do that, uh, Perry. Um, th- thanks for making it on the show. I know you're not sure that you would do so. Uh, yeah. We've had um, just to give you a fairly broad spectrum of uh, thoughts on this, from absolute loving it to finding it um, not holding water in in certain. You know the the science of it, yeah. The what? Science.
1: Yeah. Well, as you know, I've seen the some of the discussions in the comments okay. on the uh, the Facebook well, page. <laughs>
5: well, feel free to. Uh...
1: But um, no. Well, I I want to say um that that I I enjoyed the episode. Um, there were a few things that I I didn't enjoy as much as as others, and I think the the main thing that I I thought was that took me out of the story a little bit was sort of the look of the um the grandfather, you know, the, the the planet parasite thing having a face on the planet and I guess it's partly because my family around me kind of cracking up at that and my wife saying that if it turns into a smiley face I'm I'm walking out of the room or something like that. So you know so that was a little bit off putting I think. But um but I I like the story I, and it's maybe my fault that I'm looking now for similarities to older episodes as I watch these. So, you know, I'm thinking as, you know, Clara's chasing the little girl around at the beginning, I'm thinking of, you know, the uh, the Beasts Below, and then um, the, the aliens, some of the aliens reminded me of the half from The Doctor's Daughter, and there were other aliens I was kind of paying attention to and um, I guess I got kind of a and I think I heard somebody say this already it's got sort of a turn left kind of feel to the episode where they're walking around the marketplace um, which is fine really but it just reminded just in my mind I'm going oh yeah I remember I've seen this sort of thing and, um, and sort of near the end just sort of the feeling that you got from the end of The Impossible Planet you know mm. where he's talking to um, this thing you know this giant creature thing Uh, Godlike thing. Um, So yeah, and I'm I'm sure a lot of this um, has probably already come up uh, in the conversation you guys had. Sorry, I I missed the first hour and 45 minutes or whatever. (laughs) But um, but what I really did like about it, I liked the opening with Clara's parents. Although, and I like the doctor, you know, sort of investigating, you know, where she came from and things like that. Um, and as somebody else has probably pointed out that wasn't the same leaf, uh, and uh, I don't know why they would change the look of the leaf from one episode to the next. But
5: um, yeah, I didn't mind it changing color,
1: um,
5: but, it, it, but it changed shape, didn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I only noticed that because we had we had kind of an extended discussion about that leaf um i guess last week and i had done a screenshot you know a, a capture of of one of the frames you know to see that it really was a maple leaf and this one it didn't look like that at all um so um but but i i enjoyed that part i enjoyed sort of the um i enjoyed the references to older episodes um references to susan you know i re- i like that and um you know to bringing his granddaughter there uh in the past and and in the speech at the end where he's sort of telling his story to the uh the, the grandfather thing you know talking about making references to older stories and, and the and the description of the time war and i'm not sure if what he was saying about you know being there when time ran out and and he was the only one left i imagine that had Something to do with the time war is what I'm thinking, but it's the way I took it anyway. Is that he's describing what happened in the time war? You know, at the at the end, you know, when when everything sort of I, runs out, and it was just him left. I I don't know.
8: I thought it was more of a reference to like Utopia, as sort of an exaggeration of maybe. You I don't know. Yeah, it was weird because it it kind of doesn't make any sense really. It, if it's not a reference to Utopia, then it makes Utopia. Well, he incorrect. Said it
5: twice he says he mentions you that what was the utopia, but then he he mentions also something else, as though of course the time war we assume probably wasn't that outside of time anyway, you know in effect
1: well i I don't think we really know what the time war was, but um, I don't know if we'll ever find out, but it, it almost sounded to me like the end of the time war you know it probably did some I don't know I don't know but it's sort of just the way he described it as you know just being him left you know sort of reminds me of what the time war was you know basically he got rid of mm. the time lords and the Daleks and and it was just him you know left but it, who knows I don't really know I mean I, I don't really know how the time war would really be described you know when it's if it ever gets described mm. in more detail uh, what that would be like but I imagine it would it would sort of rage on throughout you know through to the end of time really so in a sense Dave I think you're right it sort of exists outside of real time but yeah who knows I don't know but he talks about alternate universes and and things like that and I and I, I really enjoyed that that scene um uh, I thought a few of the things maybe a little awkward. Somebody was asking me on the Facebook page if the the science parts bothered me, and my response was there were science parts. Um, but I think I think it was Jeff. I think Jeff what he was referring to were things like you know how they could breathe maybe on an asteroid, how they could how there was gravity, maybe or how they could breathe while they're flying on that moped thing. I mean I, those thoughts occurred to me, and then I just kind of thought to myself. They would even if they talked about it, they would probably just use a little throw throw away line about you know um, atmosphere containment fields and gravity bubbles and things like that so spitfires since that kind of space? thing has been already established, what's no. that Dave? no
5: spitfires in space
1: spitfires in space right <laughs> I could deal with I can deal with sort of moped like <clears> things <throat> in space, I suppose. What I was no. getting more at was how was
6: the sound from going from one asteroid to the other, the singing. Oh
1: and, yeah, yeah.
7: And D H X system.
1: There <laughs> yeah, you go. Really?
6: Good.
2: Well, you know, she does Powerball, stand yeah.
8: upon a platform, so you'd think that yes. maybe the platform has, you know, it's a little round, raised thing. Maybe that has to do with it. But yeah. the the, the real problem with that, I suppose, is that it does appear as if Clara is hearing what the doctor is saying. In the, yeah, the page. So I wasn't like sure a, 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 of
1: that the first time, actually. The it, second watch, uh, it occurred to me, maybe she can hear what he's saying. Yeah.
8: yeah, I've watched that. That particular thing I've watched over and over again, I I don't quite get that, but yet I'm not really sure about the distances that are involved here. I mean, I think the thing is they ran out of money to make this episode, because all that business on the mm. bike is really, when you look at it, it's pretty... Um, Pirate planet, in terms of how bad it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they really don't give you a great sense of how much distance is there, but it it really does look like Clara so can hear cool. what exactly. the doctor is saying. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's cool the first time the one shot that they're able to actually make, well the two shots I guess of of you know the head on here comes Clara here comes Clara and the doctor. They're really cool shots, but they last for like a second and not even that. Um, yeah. It's hard.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't sure about that, and like how they could hear. But then you think, you know, this is a ritual that's been going on for millions of years, and I don't know, maybe they've developed some they have way something built yeah. in but into the Yeah, atmosphere. Jeff, you're right. There was a lot of stuff they right. didn't talk about. Yeah.
6: Also, the orbital mechanics of all the asteroids didn't make sense either. But
1: <laughs> yeah, true. True. I wasn't even sure what I was looking at at the beginning. I was the first time I watched it. I kind of mistook the planet to be the 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 sun that he was talking about when she had her eyes closed. Yeah, and th- that um, wasn't
6: real clear I either. I didn't realize that that was the planet. Is it a planet? Is it a brown dwarf? Is it a star? What is it? Yeah.
2: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. But the second watching it, it was pretty clear to me that that was the planet, and uh, they were the ring. They were the asteroids were the part of the rings around the planet. And uh, so that it was clearer to me the second time. And, and the
6: features on the planet, when it changed, it, those features could not have formed on such a big
1: scale that quickly. Mm. <laughs> that's a good, that's probably a good point, Jeff, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I don't know, you got a god-like thing living there, oh. I suppose, who knows. <laughs> Maybe and, it was all just in the doctor's head anyway, you know, the... the what you could see yeah. there,
8: I don't know. And if anybody can actually tell me what happens to the freighter in Earthshock based on just the visuals alone, I'll give a hundred dollars. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's in that was one of the good things about the episode that I enjoyed was that it actually did feel like old school Doctor Who because you know this it is did. what happened in right. old school Doctor Who all the time. The 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 yeah. visuals of what the, a lot of old school Doctor Who doesn't even tell the story. I mean, you kind of get it. But the special effects are so bad; they just they just drop shots all the time, and you're like, "Oh, okay, yeah. something happened there. I don't know what."
1: Yeah, maybe uh, some, yeah, maybe in this in this new in this era of new Doctor Who, you know, it's sort of unusual.
8: It's very unusual, yeah. But
1: um, but yeah, you're right. It sort of brings back memories of things like Earthshock Earth Shock, and then the effects well, well, of course, and the old Who.
5: The, uh, yeah. uh, the old Doctor, of course, the Doctor never knew which planet it was landing on. At least this Doctor seems to be able to steer the TARDIS t- to where they were going.
2: He, well, he
8: them, you know, right. Very well in this episode, as we find out. But the, the other thing is it didn't matter where he was landing because they were always colonies of humans somewhere. I mean, this episode at least deserves some credit uh, for being off world. not just off world, but out of the human con. I mean, there are no humans yes, here yes. whatsoever. Yes. And that's, uh, that's that's something, you know, this is indeed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. I also like the little the little thing where she tries to open the TARDIS just, you know, without the key and then she mm-hmm. says, I don't think it likes me and uh I'm curious to see if, if that will come up again because the TARDIS didn't like Jack, you know. Um b- because same of same. Jack you know, the, Jack was a fixed point or whatever the doctor described him as the the TARDIS basically tried to reject him. So I don't I don't know.
5: And of course, I don't know what that, it was mentioned really before you anything. arrived that Clara hadn't yet been given a key, where, of course, you know, you know, we haven't had the key-handing ceremony yet.
8: But I true, think you know, yeah. I'm glad that you liked that scene, too, because I really did as well. And what's interesting about that scene is not only did she not get a key, which is completely appropriate, but she didn't even know that she needed to have a key. Yeah. Which, to be honest with you, should have happened at some point in Doctor Who's history, Before this, but I think this is what happens when you get like a new writer coming in. New writers being asked to write such an important episode are very rare, really. I'm not sure. I can't think of it. I mean, unless you want to count Terry Nation as a new writer.
2: Um,
8: And that that episode, you know, the Daleks also had to do with what is the key to the TARDIS? How do we get into the TARDIS? Yeah. Um, But it's one of the great things about having a new writer is that they make these observations that you just. Never would have thought of as a Doctor Who fan because you're used to it. But of course she shouldn't even know that you needed to have a key to get inside because she's never seen that happen. If you you go back to um, last week's episode, and when they go into
1: the TARDIS,
8: the doctor Mm -hmm. doesn't use a key. It's very consistent.
1: He hardly even seems to close the door anymore either. Actually, He just runs out and the next time you see it it gets closed. (laughs) Yeah,
8: absolutely. Yeah.
7: A lot of finger snapping. I guess not <laughs> even that. It. It. Like, oh, no, a, lot yeah. of, a
8: lot of hand waving is what it is, which is fine. Yeah.
1: No, but I, yeah, I really like that moment where she where she looks up at the TARDIS and the TARDIS almost looks menacing, and she goes, "I don't think it likes me." So I'm waiting to see. I'm hoping that that will that means something. The other thing, oh, the, that I meant to point out, and I don't know if anybody mentioned this already, is Clara's mother saying that. Um, when you get lost, I'll come for you, I'll come for you every time. Yes. And the way they stress that phrase every time kind of makes me think something funny there, you know, about how Clara sort of repeats in history and her mother coming every time. I don't know. Well, uh, I'm absolutely. reading too much into it, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And mother and just, it sounds interesting, though.
8: And the studied way that they don't tell you how she died, and they don't even use the word die.
1: No. Yeah. yeah, and did anybody, everybody catch her name? I'm sure Ellie Ravenwood. I don't know if that means anything to anybody. Well, the day
5: the date was mentioned because, um, uh, and I think Mike said it is it the, mm-hmm. the same day as Rose aired, the date of her death.
8: It's the same day that Rose takes place, or at least the initial the was, part. March of Rose. 5th. It's it's the day when the, oh, really? when Rose when Rose meets the Ninth Doctor.
7: It's that day. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeff mentioned Jeff mentioned it was the yeah. uh, the attack.
8: Or, or the yeah, have you want to look at that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Mike mm-hmm.
5: put um uh Rose aired on the twenty sixth of March two
6: mm-hmm. Well the the other part I about mean, the scene, that. going back to where Clara says that the TARDIS doesn't like her, uh there was a sound effect, a TARDIS sound effect at that point as well. I don't mm. know if you caught that, Perry.
1: Um, I don't remember it, but, yeah, no, so I guess not. The, is this there I some,
5: right, is this something to do with the, are you thinking, Perry, that it's, it might be something timey-wimey about her, na- the nature of her, you know, with a because, because this Clara, not necessarily the same one, but as a person, yeah. so a fragmented person, maybe, and,
1: yeah, I don't really, yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping it's sort of a foreshadow of, of something about clara that's there um i mean it it, that idea is almost that feeling is sort of picked up at the very end when he's having that conversation with clara and you know he says you remind me of someone and my initial reaction at first viewing was he wasn't talking about her in previous sort of incarnations but that he was talking about somebody else that he knew but that was just me i think reading too much into it but um well, did did you see the expression- oh, that was on sort of, of an awkward conversation there
6: did you see the expression on his face after Clara left the yes. terrace? Yeah, very, it was almost
1: menacing, yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's yeah he's very suspicious of Clara, I guess I don't know and 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 what he says to her about you know when she realizes he was there at her mother's grave and and he he said i I was just making sure. You know, it's like, what do you mean, making sure? <laughs> yeah, no, I thought that.
5: What prompted her to remember that? Do you think it was the, basically, when that leaf was disintegrating, she was replaying the memories, and, and, and mm. in a vision, she saw that the Doctor was there. I mean, what prompted her to suddenly come out with
8: that?
2: that yeah. Pr- yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean,
8: I mean... The thing that was a little bit weird for me with that, if you you know really think about it, is that I don't think she sees the doctor, or at least in that scene, it is not photographed as if she could possibly have seen the doctor because right. he's hiding behind the tree. So, I mean, it's a to deal because you can just imagine, you know, off camera, she turns around and starts to walk away, and she sees him, and because. Um, you know, she did very clearly meet him as a little girl. It could have, and he's wearing the same thing, it could have jogged a memory. And I guess what could have brought it all up is she's just now spent a lot of time around the little girl remembering her youth. So that that could have dislodged the memory.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's,
8: it's it's explainable. It's not really that but I thought deal, the doctor's, but doctors curious.
1: I thought the doctor's line about why he was doing it, you know, he was just had to make sure, you know, it was, it was kind of was curious too I mean what's he making sure of I don't know about Clara Clara's mother I don't know it wasn't yeah I, I suppose what's surprising there what he th- meant by that
8: right and what's surprising is that she doesn't really I mean, does she ask clear about what, I guess she does ask that question doesn't she uh, which one uh, she's clear up. about what you know
5: she uh-huh. uh, 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 doesn't ahead, really answer she lets her go you know What's the prequel, you know the prequel on the swings? Yeah. Was it the same actress playing the mother there than in this episode, Clara's mother?
6: Uh, I've about that. I, to think, the credits, I yes think it is. So. I yes. think it is.
5: Yeah, but the thing it was, thing was is. a different a different decade, so she was styled differently.
8: Uh, She's not styled that differently. Really. She's just got her hair up, I think.
5: And like, yeah, but she looked more of a young, well, obviously she's more of a young mum in the one in this episode, because Claire is about five, four, five in the park, whereas in the swings she's about nine or ten, is she? i think so. Mm-hmm.
2: But,
8: but the one thing is that it can't be the same actor like that's in... Oh, no, no, no actor, I didn't mean the girl, the I meant the kid actor. mother. I, I mean the, the girl. played the mother. I mean the girl the girl's not the same as the girl who's in bed oh I know that yeah
5: yeah
8: and that that, that really shocked me I was like well why did you cast the other girl and not just use her here I mean Mm -hmm. spend five seconds take another shot of her in bed what's the big deal Mm -hmm. Mm
5: -hmm. so uh, uh, I mean some people like uh, Jeff have uh, have admittedly said they're confused and one or two others have you know seen good points and bad points uh, are you coming down in either direction, Perry, or what? Hmm. What's that? In terms of h- how you overall feel the episode was, the pros and oh, the Oh, I or? give
1: it about a four out of five. I mean, right. I I enjoyed it. I liked I liked Clara in it. I liked the Doctor in it. There were just some things that were a little off-putting to me. So, so I, I give it a four out of five. Okay,
5: uh, are you? Uh, are we all right to move on? Or are you want to add anything more?
1: Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you and Ian okay. have time.
5: Alright, Well, uh, I've got the I've got the the final well the final clip of this story. I've got the next time bit which I, we can play as part of our outro. So, this is the last clip of this main story, and then we'll go to Ian.
3: Home again, home again, jiggity jig. It looks different Yep, same house, same city, same planet uh, Hey, same day actually, huh? Yeah, not bad in one!
10: You were there At mum's grave, you were watching What were you doing there?
3: I don't know, I was just making sure Of what? You remind me of someone. Who? Someone who died.
10: Well, whoever she was, I'm not her. Okay? If you want me to travel with you, that's fine. But as me. I'm not bargain basement standing with somebody else. I'm not gonna compete with a ghost.
3: They wanted you to have it. Who did it? Everyone. All the people you saved. You,
5: no one else. Clara. Oh, you know, you'd think there was some planning in these clips of mine. How appropriate was that, Perry? <laughs> <That's>
2: pretty good.
5: <laughs> Let's go to Ian.
4: All right, if you must. <laughs> um, I thought this was a great episode. Uh, I couldn't watch it again. Um, in if, if fact, it hadn't been for... Uh, Perry, coming back from the supermarket, I probably would have watched it right after I watched it the first time. Um, but we ended up recording a review, which I uh, didn't end up meeting at all. Thanks, for that, Perry.
1: <laughs> yep. Anytime. <laughs> no,
4: actually. It was a, we had a good chat last night about the episode, and uh, um, I, I really liked it. Um, and we've gone... I mean, Darth's pretty much covered just about everything um, that I had thought about it. The... One of the things that struck me is this is the oldest I have seen Matt act as the Doctor. Um There was quite, I think, a significant change in him in this. Yeah, he still did some of that, you know, jumping around kind of stuff. But there were certain moments in this where he just seemed to be quite old. Um And it always brings to mind uh River Song uh, in Silence uh, in the Library where she said, uh you know, when he came to the door, it was the oldest I've seen you look. Um, and we always take that as to mean the doctor looks old. Um, but no, I think, you know, it, it could conceivably be, you know, some of the stuff we've seen with Matt um, and this in particular, he just looks... I mean, I'd almost say there was he was channeling some Hartnell, but there was definitely mannerisms there of, of, of Trout, and I think that, that just kind of led right through. And I like this doctor in this episode.
6: Um, and I, yeah. I noticed the Hartnell angle as well in certain parts of the story.
4: Just kind of like, oh wow, that's cool. <laughs>
6: yeah, uh, he, he's acting like Hartnell there. Yeah, yeah.
4: I, I noticed it quite pitchy at times and kind of. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there's just uh, the uh, one one moment that struck me. It's just a really simple thing, you know. Um, we were seeing, you know, uh, Appleton would know, hold out his hand and Rose grabbed it. He did this thing where he just kind of offered up his hand, very gentlemanly, like, and she took his hand. I just, I thought that was really kind of a, just a neat moment. Um, see, all the all the stuff I'm going to come out with is, is just all these little bits that just occurred to me of, of being uh, really kind of neat. Um, the, the 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 mention of of his granddaughter was brilliantly handled. Just in the way, not it was like, oh, I had a granddaughter once, or I had it, you know, we've had it before.
5: I brought her here. Yeah,
4: it, 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 it's almost like he he, you know, he dropped it intentionally. But this, he was just kind of excited, like, oh, I forgot how much I like this place. Oh, you've been here before. Yeah, I want my granddaughter here. And he just bowls on regardless of, of what he just said. To him, it was just a thing, and that's what I liked about Matt's delivery on that, is that um, the important thing in there wasn't his granddaughter. It it wasn't at all. It was a very general conversation thing. Sometimes they try to put these things in and um we get it's 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 overdone. You know, where it's like, oh, you know, we can the reference dropped in there. Um uh, uh some of the things that, that that were a problem for me is that some of the things weren't explained enough. I think um or they were just leaving a lot to 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 us to just figure out later. Uh, I don't really think that the whole story itself was that important, you know, the big bad monster wasn't important. Um what was important was 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 Clara um and the doctor discovering this uh kinship really of of what, what what's important. Um the you know everything seemed to be kind of uh, a side you know of side interest, but uh, I didn't see anywhere where the uh, where uh, Mary got the song wrong. So I'm like, okay, um, did she? Uh, I don't think she did. Uh, and the thing that tips me after that, and I could be wrong because I'm just guessing, is that the uh, the acolytes showed up prior to the uh, to the singing, which means says to me that they were just coming to get it regardless of the song. It didn't matter. Um, they were going to continue with this plan regardless of the song, and maybe it wasn't really even the song that was keeping him asleep. This was just his time, and it would have gone on without this. I don't really know. Um, one of the things that tipped me off of this being actually a pretty good episode is that <laughs> Perry didn't seem to have much of a problem with the, the science or lack thereof, um, which is always to be a good sign because that means he enjoyed the story. I hope I'm not, I'm not well, it means
1: the right. show wasn't about the science. you know a lot of sci-fi and this is a problem with Star Trek: The Next Generation is they they sometimes it's too much about the science, and if they're focusing on the 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 details of the science, you really notice when they get the details wrong. You know, when Geordi when says they don't know how gravity works in two dimensions, give me a break, you know things like that <laughs> when he obviously should know all this stuff. The doctor and doctor who they don't they don't usually bother <laughs> you know right. with the detail, and so it's sort of left to your imagination that yes, there's some way that this this can work, and I guess that's that's why i didn't didn't bother getting caught up in it, it yeah. they, you know, they they didn't try
4: to explain or um you know she didn't ask oh, well, how is it that we can breathe well on these bikes? Because it wasn't important uh, to the story, the overall story. It wasn't. It was, here's this place that's fantastic, and I'm bringing you here. Oh, and this thing happens, and off we go. Um, it's a fun story. Um, uh, as I played before, the, the bit that Darth like the the, the, the the speech to to Mary was fantastic. And we've had, we've not just done this before, about how, oh, you know, uh, a single person is the most important person in the universe. Blah 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 blah. This was done really, really quite well, uh, and, and in a logical kind of a manner. It's like you know, um, all of the, you know, all of the parts, the atoms in your body have 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 gone to other things at some point in time, um, and so if, for them coming together to form you, that's unique. That's never going to happen. And no, I thought that was just just a perfectly handled scene. Um, I loved the door. <laughs> I thought uh, you know let's let's give Matt something to do that's funny where he can't move and flail <laughs> and there he is under the door you <laughs> idea how mentally heavy this door is. Um, I gave some thought to the his fight with the acolytes, and if you notice that they you know, their mouthpieces and everything um what their their attacks are are vocal um so it's it's uh, almost like a sonic blast. And so the doctor is retaliating with the sonic screwdriver, pushing back that sound. And that's where we get the mm-hmm. the effect the effect from of the you know, their blast hitting his blast and then becoming this. And I just wonder whether it's this, this build up that creates this you know, this shell that we see later. So I thought that was kind of kind of clever. It was the I mean, using the sonic screwdriver in a sonic way, um, not as a weapon but as a shield. It was kind of I thought quite neat. Um, and I, for some reason I thought it was really, really neat that we saw the back of the TARDIS and we actually used it for a time they were hiding behind it they were just sitting behind it um, like, I just thought that was kind of they could have hid anywhere um, and it was just kind of neat that there was this little uh, moment taking place behind the TARDIS um, where you just see the back paneling and not an angle we see of the old girl you know that often um, so it was, I thought it was quite a unique thing to do it's like who would have thought and and uh, and that scene back there uh, one thing I have to say about Clara um, against Amy is that for once and it, it's probably got a lot to do with the way she's being set up as a character but we actually have some character development in, in Clara we know a lot about her, um even though this is for this clara the the second time we've 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 seen her um because we know of these these things that have been reoccurring throughout her 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 existence in various times um her ability to relate to children and to, you know because she's looked after them uh, and so that kind of plays out really really well here when she's talking um Mary down and and saying, oh, no, that's okay, she knows how to talk to her." And it comes across as very very natural and very um, um uh, mother like uh, and uh, yeah it was just quite a little beautiful scene i i keep i keep going on about it, and she is extremely beautiful, but there's just something uh, extraordinary about uh about Clara that I think is just fantastic. I hope they don't spoil it with something just too um too much with her, you know, being like the greatest thing in the universe or whatever she ends up being. Um because I'd really like to see her stick around so like I said, you know, I'd like to see her with another doctor, you know, I'd like to stick around long enough for that. Um I see some people say that um, that they they think Matt should be gone by now and I don't think so. I I really like how he's developing and I can really honestly see when they saw him audition why um why they chose him instead of an older you know, an older actor. Because he can do all. Um uh, he really, really can. Um and it just astonishes me in this that that some people don't see that. That you know, um there's there are things in here that he can do that David Tennant just couldn't. Um that David Tennant had a way of you could look at David Tennant's eyes and see whatever it was he was trying to portray but I'd never seen him um, channel another doctor the way that, that Matt does Matt seems to be able to do the the older doctors very very well and and pull that off um, and and I'm I really really enjoyed this episode um, really looking forward to doing the, the commentary later on with 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 Dave um, and it's a shame, actually, we have a common because everyone might just watch it again. Well, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's just um, it's just so much that I enjoyed in here. But it's an odd enjoyment because when you look at it overall, and I can, I can honestly see, you know, how people are just like, eh. um because they're expecting this, this grand adventure. But to me, it was more about what was said uh, than what was done. Um, and the importance of the leaf uh, was just the, the whole thing about, um, and um, paraphrasing, I'm sure, about basically that that all of the doctor's experiences, all the things he's done and said, and and people he's met and, and um, encountered, were nothing in comparison to what this leaf represented of, of the the remainder of her mother's life, uh, of of all the opportunities missed and the life not lived. Uh, I just thought it was just very, very poetic and, and just lovely. Um, I'm almost done, I promise. Um uh, did love the very comedic moment. Uh, I've seen bigger. Really? No! Of course not! <laughs> Look at the size of that one, Doctor! <laughs> yes, it's immense! It, <laughs> <laughs> i just thought, <laughs> <are you> kidding! I've <laughs> seen bigger. And then, then when he kind of wanders out, I, I, I love the... um the visual of of the, the planet star, whatever it was, the big emoticon, um, and the silhouette of, of Matt standing there, side on, kind of looking at it and addressing it. Um, and of course, his, uh, let's see, got a plan? Nope, didn't think so. <laughs> just was talking to himself, just, you know, uh, it was really, really good. You know, I just, you know, on a, on, a, on a different level than, than anything else. Um, you know. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I'm going to give it a five. Heck with it. Five. <laughs> I was going to give it a four and a half, but no, I just talked myself into a five.
13: <laughs> All right, Dave.
5: I'm done. Okay, and uh, just to say that uh, Willis Girl has put four out of five in text and any of the others, please, uh, just in text and not on audio, put your rating in Uh, When I've done, I'm sure Ian will read them out.
4: Even if you've uh, put it in before, if you wouldn't mind putting it again, so that uh, I don't have to go hunting.
5: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Right. Well, uh, I may give an impression from the uh, the that I didn't like this episode at all. Um, I did. It's just that I got annoyed, and I got uh, after I did, I got hung up on quite a few things, quite a few same things as Jeff. But um, as as a companion episode. Uh, and how that uh, presented Clara to us uh, it, it actually scored her very well indeed I, I've really taken to this young girl in terms of both her uh, acting ability and, uh, I mean I've seen her in, in quite a few other things I've seen her in um, uh, Titanic and Dancing on the Edge uh, so I, I can wholeheartedly agree with Darth that this girl has got um, real acting ability I mean something that's very difficult on TV is just to be still and yet still impart emotion and you could virtually read her thoughts through barely a flicker on her face, which of course is what I loved about David Tennant. In some ways, uh, I also like the fact that what Dahl says that, that she hopefully will stay beyond whenever Matt Smith leaves because I'm not all that sure there's a real chemistry between the two of them i don't mean acting chemistry i mean in terms of um you know because of the very very fact that uh, the portrayal of the eleven doctor he's not exactly a babe magnet and he's he, he does do old and so on and um th- there seems to be a little bit of discre- discrepancy to my mind in that maybe it's just my old-fashioned nature i don't know but there you go so uh, as as telling us uh you know, a new companion, you know, she, she proves a point, um, uh, somewhat to the way that I think slightly cavalierly, uh, it was written by, uh, um, the, the writer that, uh, I mean, the, the do- um, got his name again now, um, oh, where's he gone? Neil Cross. Neil Cross, right. Um, it, the, he basically has the doctor just wander off and leave her. I mean, uh, he, he appears to need something, so he goes and uh, she suddenly turns around and he's gone. Um, I'm just going to leave I him
4: hanging, a, by the way, Gareth.
5: <laughs> yeah, I see. You know, you've made more mistakes than me today, matey. Um, uh, <laughs> is that your tongue coming out? We've um, <laughs> we got Silurian in the room, folks. Um, no, the uh, I was, you know, I, I was a, a bit niggly when I'm watching. The episode the first time too, and then, and then we saw this as has been very described in the the text. You know the uh, the 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 Star Wars cantina, or the uh, the the one from Star Star Wars. You know the the sort of sort of casual grouping of. Uh, I mean, Darth already said, and a couple of us said that the the effects weren't particularly that brilliant in this story, and yet they you know they costume up. In fact, I think there were more than seven races. There's supposed to be seven races here. Seems to be more than seven races there, uh, and I just kept thinking, "Oh, it's toys." That's uh, you know, somebody said to uh, the the people, you know, you know, we need a few more things to sell in that Um Can can you sort of produce a few more aliens for us, please? And so that got me slightly off off foot. But then again, oh. uh,
8: come. On. I'm sorry, because, Dave, I remember back in the old days of, uh, you know, when we were doing this on Podshock and not on this thing, uh, you were in, like, Series 6 or whatever, all up in arms. Oh, there's no – nothing happening Ooh. in outer space. I'm glad was, oh, I'm glad you oh, i But where are you on that? Because you can't, on the one hand, say um, – at least I don't see how you can say, we've got to get off Earth. But then, when we do get off Earth and we're, you know, have all these alien cultures around, oh, that's just for toys. No, well, yes, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. multicultural society. I, I yeah, know.
5: yeah, well, yeah. Fair enough. I, I should have probably opened by saying, you know, I I was extremely glad it was Off World, but yet, but to me it seems, you know, you, there's, you know, you, there's never a bus when you want one, and then three come along at once. I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> They, they, they seem to be thrown in, I mean, this was supposed to be one system, remember, seven worlds around one moon. Now, you could argue that uh, they each independently uh, you know, had life evolve in a different way on each of those same planets around one sun. But to me, they, they would seemed, you know thrown in as a bizarre, almost a circus element to the episode, simply in a way, I suppose, to to throw Clara in at the deep end that this is what traveling in space is like. You know, you, you go to these, uh, you know, multi... Uh, I don't even know what the right word is, but multi... Uh, anyway, wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but um, hmm. that just gave me a slight judder uh, but then I was enjoying it, and then I hit the same wall that I think Jeff did. Is the when this space hopper came across? Now, whereas Ian has actually given a very plausible explanation uh, about the you know that sonic barrier that that's thrown up. I would have rather they not spent the CGI in doing that. I would rather I'd spent the CGI as soon as they sat in it. You just got a purple haze over the top of them in that that ship. That's all I needed. Um, and then I would have been back on board um, I, but I liked virtually half of it and then uh, we got to this situation uh, and I, I do believe that Doctor made a bit of a boomer because once we got this situation where uh, first of all like Jeff I, the word consumed was used more than once and think that the, these memories and emotions would be consumed, now to me consuming means that they're taken from you you know, you, 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 it, it's not like uh, there was a Star Trek Next Generation episode where they go to this planet and the um, the currency was that you told stories. But it found out that they were actually uh, they, they were doing things to their mind and extracting. Uh, uh, it was a world where even to think of a crime was a crime, and um, they had a murder or something. go I had a vicious murder. And it was something to do with the thoughts of the crew, and they were extracting these thoughts from them. Um, So, to me, I expected when the doctor was sort of collapsed and given all of it, he was going to be at least temporarily, at least, you know, um, put into some sort of situation where he was in almost a semi-coma, and the the actual companion would basically be dragging him off to the zero room or something. the thing of course was that because this was all revolving around what i wasn't quite entirely sure was the focus of the uh, you know the these things revolving around um this large gas giant Uh, i think it's probably been explained that there, there was another star this was like a large planet and it may well just be in the meeting point and their actual planets that they lived on were revolving around the main star so that this disappearance didn 't mean that the the, the the whole the whole seven cultures were were vaporized at the same point um, I did like and I did like the 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 fact that the this leaf uh, contained not just the memories from this one relationship uh, because of this unique moment but the fact that um all possible futures could have gone but i think that could have actually been had more uh, emotional currency if um if it had been a young i mean don't forget when clara's mother died she's about 17 or something like that so this woman had a very shortened life but um maybe this is something to do with my own personal life and what happened with me but to me um the the mother was taken tragically young but uh, how old was she in a mid-40s 45 45 yeah right uh so i don't know but it, it had to be the leaf because that was the the way they'd set it up i almost think it would have been better if it had been something of a maybe a twin sister that that clara had, had that was lost at birth or something where a whole potential life had been lost um so it, of course, it went into fairy tale, and I, I've already been on record as not particularly wanting Doctor Who to be taken in
8: that direction. So, well, wait, wait. How is it fairy tale though? Because that I vigorously dispute. I don't, I don't see fairy tale in the story. Well, a,
5: a, a giant funny face on planet, um, uh, Which a planet, singing, a singing to. It was basically, in fact, on that classic radio, the radio program that. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, and people I will listen to it. Uh, they mention about, um, in fact, perhaps I'm disproving my own case here because I think it's Colin Baker. There's something about, uh, you know, when uh, Doctor Who started, it was it, it was uh, sort of Don Quixote and the, the Doctor rides into a planet unknown, he sorts the situation out and basically leaves unknown. It's basically the story of a hundred thousand and one nights, which of course I suppose in a way this was. But that's why I think it's fairy tale. Basically, they had to keep this presence happy uh, and tell its stories in song form to stop it from killing them all or devouring them all. Which is basically the story of um, uh, Scheherazade, Sh- isn't it? Who has to tell these stories every night because she's not put to death as long as she entertains. Um, you know the the the, f- the f- fakir or what they they called?
7: Um, so th- the planet's a replacement for a giant genie. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, the, the
5: the fact that they had to to, to call it. I, I did like the very fact though, though, but the young girl was able to explain if they didn't halt it here, if they didn't make the sacrifice, this 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 thing would go on to devour other solar systems, and that's the, I think what if they'd have had the air shell around the the ship, if when they all right, when they've done this method with the leaf and all this infinity of memories, if that had defeated it, I would have far rather that entity suck itself out of that giant planet and see that zoom off into the distance. Uh, I mean, that's been used in Star Trek The Next Generation, again, where, you know, uh, a creature's come as like a little orb of light, gone inside people's bodies, maybe even... Uh, being born as a baby on the uh, on the spaceship to find out what human uh, humanity is, and then left uh, Troy, I think it is that has that baby. But I, I, I would have rather the entity have left that giant, that giant, left it there, left all these asteroids and possibly the worlds that possibly encircle it still in place. But there was an awful lot that I did like about it as a setup or a second story for companion it hit the mark it proves that this girl uh, has a right to be with the doctor that's the character i'm talking about the actress has proved that she you know can win our hearts over very sincerely Uh, i think ken was right Uh, quicker than many other actresses have done in recent times Uh, and for that i do commend the episode but there were just these little things and it might be my failing that I get hanged up on them, and then by the time I've sort of said, alright, we'll dismiss that, five minutes of the story have passed. By the time I come to do the commentary with Ian, don't think I, that I've, he's a shapeshifter, I may well like it even more on the second watching. Um, I do find that in the first watching, I'm, I'm very protective of my opinion of it, I'm not talking about other people's viewing points. And when I watch it the second time, a third time, I will have got over that and then I will be able to sort of steep myself into all the very good parts about the story Uh, (coughs) what else oh yeah um, there was a lot of talk about (coughs) when they do these spoilers we we thought the Blooming Doctor was regenerating but that was this um, excuse me one minute (coughs) that was um, when all these memories were supposedly I thought being sucked out of him but apparently not. Um, I'm going to stop now, Ian, because I'm losing my voice.
4: Alrighty. People have wished that on me before, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty. Um, One thing I did actually think of that uh, that, that, I thought of earlier that I forgot to bring up was that, I I don't know whether it bothers me or not, but I, I do wonder... Um, about the doctor's motives in this episode, um, he—I'm he, not sure—you know—to leave up a lot up to my imagination, at least mine, anyway. Um, that uh, you know, when the doctor disappears and Clara is on her own, uh, it's almost as if he left her there uh, to get in, into trouble or to see what she would do. I don't know. Um, the the knowledge of of the leaf and, and what it means, um, and and when they're first talking to the the the, the bike sales person, um, you know, the the way he kind of says, "Oh, well, don't, don't don't you have anything?" I think at that time he's actually pointing to you know referring to uh, yes sorry Doreen um, uh, referring to the, the leaf and she presents the ring, um, and, and so I, I I'm, I'm I'm probably, you know, putting too much into it, but I'm, I'm wondering whether the doctors deliberately manipulating her in some way to, oh. to, to, either expose her or to find out what's going on, or it, it, almost seemed to be a deliberate manipulation. But like I said, I could be reading something into it that's not really there. No, I don't
8: think that you are at all. I think that's exactly what's going on, uh, and I think it ties on to, you know, ties into the whole thing. I'm, I just had to make sure. I mean, because that's what he's doing. He's trying to see, is the birth, you know, a proper one? Is it, you know, is it human? Is it not only human, but is it, you know, coming from a point of love, you know, coming from a good place or a bad place? I think he's definitely doing things to see whether or not um, she responds in the proper way. And I think that's it, it is sort of a mirror to Beast Below, because I think he's doing sort of the same thing in Beast Below. With Amy, um, but it's maybe really, it's a little bit more of her. I mean, you, he he does exactly the same thing to Amy in that story, really, because he he goes off in a different direction than she does. I think we see this throughout the the Matt Smith tenure. The whole thing about like in the Lodger, where he's you know um, apparently no good with human stuff. I think we we know now uh, that that is that he was putting on an act there, and that he was you know. It, in every way, knowledgeable about what was going on with Craig and and um, whatever her name is, um, and he was trying to push that along. So yeah, this is it's totally within this doctor's character to mess with human relationships and try to figure out what people will do. So you read that spot on.
4: And I think I think it might have been not that I'm very experienced with Hartnell, but just from what I've seen recently of, of watching stuff, that might have been one of the things that's you know, reminding me of Hartnell. He's so far from what I've seen, which isn't a lot. He's quite a devious bugger. Um, you know, deliberately sabotaging the TARDIS and, and, and just so he can get his own way and, and do what he wants. You know, running off with, with Ian and Barbara, you know. Um, quite deliberate, almost, you could almost say mean things. Because in this episode, it appears to be kind of mean. He knows how attached she is. Uh, to to the leaf and what it means, but he makes her sacrifice it, and that ends up saying a heck of a lot more about her than it does about him. Um, yeah. It's just what she was willing to give up. This one of the last remnants of her mother, but the the you know uh, the essence of her creation, as it were. You know, that's the, the the linchpin, and it's like that was. I think that's what made it so powerful for me. Is 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 what the doctors doing and then what she and her response to it is this um which just makes her out to be an awesome companion um yeah prove themselves in in ways of just saving the doctor you know Uh,
7: and rather than hearing how amazing she is we see it you know we're hearing about you know you're the most important person in the universe about Mm -hmm. the 11th doctor's companions we're not hearing it, we're seeing it. We're seeing yeah. how good she is. We're seeing how yeah. she relates to children and others, and we see the sacrifices she makes. Yeah. That's really good. That's something I mean, that was yeah. really lacking in Amy. We, we heard so much how important, but mm. we, ne- we didn't see a lot of that.
5: Mm. Mm. Uh, I've got my voice back, so just let me add in as well. Uh, I, I agree with uh, Darth again. We, we've had another good child actress brought on board. Uh, the, they are really good at the way the they pick um uh, em- Amelia Jones, was it?
4: Yeah. Yeah. So and, uh, a a uh, bit uh, like uh, Smith and, and, and Jones any. Anyway. Actually is not is uh I think it was um guest five? Guess five. Yeah. Uh-huh. was uh, somebody was mentioning uh, that uh, it's actually Ella uh Jones' daughter. Which explains the singing I guess. Ah. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That explains things. <laughs> so yeah. Um oh, all right. right. Well I, uh unless you've got anything more to add, Dave, I think we'll close things out. Yeah, I've I've I'll just got
5: a... just warn people that um, the last clip I'll play before you play the outro is the next time bit if, it, if people don't want okay. to hear that.
4: I think we yep. Um so uh we'll just quickly uh read out uh the ratings in the room um and then I'll quickly go around to, uh, uh did everybody give ratings who's on audio? Uh,
5: mine's minus three and a half, sorry yeah. I okay. I had to Cut myself down
4: there a minute. Okay. All right. Uh, so, ratings from text chat. Uh, CyBob gives it a uh, two and a half out of five. Uh, Will's Gervin gives it a four out of five. Uh, Devos 1179 gives it two out of five. Uh, Supper Seven gives it three and a half out of five. Glad to have you on board, Supper Seven. Uh, Perry G four out of five. Uh, Jeff uh, two and a half out of five. Guest Eight gives it three out of five. Uh, and carte blanche, one and a half out of five of recent episodes only fear her has been worse. Not to each their own. And uh, I think that that wraps up for ratings. All right, um, I'd like to thank you all for joining us. It's been a, a long show, so I know we, uh, a lot of us have to get off and scramble away. Um, but yes, join us, of course, next week when we we'll uh discussing the next episode. Which is called, What is it? Uh, it's called... Cold War. Yeah? Cold War, cold. Ah, you ain't quiet. (laughs) At least to me, anyway. Right, I I went under the cone slightly, I guess. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) All right, then. Well, uh, until next week, uh, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC.
5: It's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Tune out if you don't want to know what happens at the end.
4: Play that good thief. And then he was
3: a 12. This sub's stuck with nuclear missiles. What are you going to do when
2: he finds that
5: out? Who's that? We are all that stands between this creature and the destruction of the world.
2: He's arming the warhead. Nara, right, get out
3: of there. Get out! I will blow this sub up before you can even
2: reach that button.